Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than hearing Richard O'Brien go, Stop the fans, please! Dun, 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 Won't be the same, will it? My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us and hitting that download button more delicately than a Karababorski chip at Euro 96. Ah, what a summer that was. What summer this is, isn't it, at the moment? Absolute scorcher right now here in the UK, especially in London. A hottest June for like 50 years, apparently it is today. Um, Dating this podcast, but I'm recording on that Wednesday, the hottest day in... Well, it feels like in history. I know I sound very British when I say it, but it feels like it's never been hotter. It's absolutely scorching in the UK right now. Lovely, but at the same time, my one-year-old and my dog are looking at me like, what the hell have you done? Please turn this heat down. It's horrible. But... You know, I'm not going to be British and moan about the weather, but it's really, really hot today. Um, I was out and about uptown today as well, so on the trains and stuff. Everyone is, you know, stuffy, and I think there was delays up to an hour on some other line. I felt very sorry for those people. But yes, very, very hot here in the UK. And we're celebrating summer today, actually, on today's podcast. Uh, we're going to kind of fill the gap, as there's no major tournament this summer. Uh, I'll get to that in a second, because I know I tweeted a week or so ago that we were recording our 95-96 episode in continuation of the countdown season by season that we've been doing here on AK90s. We are still, of course, doing that. Um, That episode has been slightly delayed just due to some scheduling conflicts with me and the guests that we've got on. So that will be next time out. I'm recording that next week with the guys um, as we get back to our countdown and do 95-96. Thanks to everyone who commented on the, the tweet, actually. Um, some great memories from yourself. I'll go through them on the intro uh, next time out. But thank you very much for getting in touch. Instead, today, as I said, it's summer. There's no tournament on. Although, saying that, I was sitting on the couch about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, day before yesterday, I think it was, and switching between two live games simultaneously, which was great. Uh, with the Confed Cup and the Under-21 tournament. But it's not a full international tournament. So yes, as I said, we're going to fill that gap for you today on today's episode. Another bonus one um, in in the middle of this countdown because we had the bonus episodes that we've done previously the last two times out with the playoff finals, which was really good to do that. And then the FA Cup finals, really enjoyed that show as well. What we're doing today, though, is me, an old friend of the show, regular grandfather clock of AK90's Joel Young. He's joining me. And what we've done, we've picked an eleven. Really like picking 11s, always fun, using the tournaments in the 1990s. So, Italia 90, Euro 92, USA 94, Euro 96 and World Cup 98. There are rules to this 11, which you'll uh, you'll hear about on the beginning of the podcast. But yeah, so a lot of fun, a lot of names. Harder than we thought that we were to pick, to be honest. But yeah, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we've also got an interview as well. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite relate uh, to the 11s that we're picking but it's still a great great interview uh, from somebody who kind of grew up in the 1990s was part of a team a youth team that beat the class of 92 nonetheless in a cup final went on to play for Leeds in the Premier League as well as Carlisle and Blackpool he's former midfielder Andy Cousins talking to me and he's really does go in depth how much how much he loves the 90s so it's a really good interview and I thought I'd use that on today's show because there isn't really a, a theme for it to be fitted to otherwise so we've got a bit of international tournament plus some domestic with Andy Cousins as well and um, before we go on to that I just wanted to mention kits yeah okay yeah I'm talking about kits again but it's that time of year all the new kits are out I think I've seen whether it be officially or just through leaked every Premier League home kit at least now uh, which in a sad way is disappointing because there's no surprises to come but there's a few away kits and obviously the football league as well and obviously i'm 
counting down the days until QPR release their home and away kits, which I believe is the end of this week as well. So looking forward to that from Herrera for the first time. But I wanted to pay homage to New Balance, first of all, for their amazing, another homage to the 90s. Brilliant. You know, we already had uh, the, the Man United kit from Adidas, which is a, a look back at the 92 and well, 91, 92 away kit. The Man I had the maple leaf pattern that I call it, one of my top five kits of the 90s. And they've got that, as I said on last time out, now done in a black and grey. And then New Balance's new Liverpool away kit. They've gone back to the mid-90s, 95 and 96, actually, which we'll be talking about next time out. And the green quarters that Liverpool wore in the FA Cup final. Kind of interesting because it's not really a kit that kind of is membered for anything other than that season. They didn't win anything. They lost the Cup final. Uh, it'd be more appropriate to do a suit of cream-looking suits more, like, wasn't it? A kit like that. But, yeah, they've gone homage to that. You probably would have seen it by now. It's not completely the same. It's kind of a modern twist uh, on the quarters. I think they've been switched and they're kind of pinstriped instead of being full colour green quarters. And there's a special blue edition as well, uh, which I thought was lovely, which obviously isn't a homage to the 90s. It's more to what Liverpool wore in their very, very, very early days. But yeah, well done uh, to New Balance because there's a 90 twist on the home kit as well. I know people think, like I've said, it's based on the 80s with the pinstripes, but the neck reminds me of the 94 95 liverpool kit the no no the 95 96 as well the home kit with the big v-neck as well it reminds me a little bit of that so yeah well done uh, to new balance for that uh, the southampton kit's very nice as well i know it's kind of more owed to the 80s kit but again under armour ahead of the game doing what they do best don't think under armour have made a bad kit yet since they've been doing it for tottenham for aston villa and, and southampton so really 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 like that southampton home kit as well keep those kind of retro looking stuff coming so it's just it's just nice to have that little nod back to a club's history no templates that's what we say um a little thank you as well to dan barker who i've mentioned here before big listener to the show and lee at not that lee mc and rob smythe who all made me aware last week that uh, digital spy which is a uh TV and film website. Uh, they tweeted out an article they did on Sky One's Dream Team, 20 years old, and then one of those, What Happened to the Cast, which was very enjoyable reading. Can't believe it's kind of 10 years since uh, Dream Team finished and 20 years since it started. It's a, it's a bit crazy. Uh, bring back Dream Team, hashtag as I always say, but it was good reading that. Who believed that Kyle Fletcher is now a bloody lifeguard in Richmond? I do feel like I need to go down to Richmond Baths and find him and just shout Fletch at him all the time. Or, dragons, dragons. And, and one of the girls, I think it's Kelly, she is a singer now and she does weddings and stuff. So I think I should hire her for that. But the rest of them, you might remember, they pop up. Uh, Alison King, obviously, really, in Coronation Street. And I think there's a couple in EastEnders now. But it's good to look back on what they're doing now. And please, Sky One, bring back Dream Team. We love it. It'd be great to see the Dragons lair be be playing football again Hartford United on that really 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 love Dream Team you can go back and listen to uh, where we talk about Dream Team in our TV episode and we actually spoke to Sean Hocknell uh, Damien Britton his real name and he, he talks about his love for the show and his want to bring it back as well go back into the archive and listen to that uh, before we go on today's show then just a reminder you can follow us on Twitter uh, like those guys I mentioned there at AK90s and on Facebook as well uh, please just get in touch as always and if you've got anything lying around in your loft or your garage or, or anything that is 90s related that you want to show us see some great uh, Corinthians pictures being uh, put on our feed over the last few days from people's collections makes me very very jealous that I didn't collect more but uh, I think the wife would 
just, you know, she'd complain of all the tap that I have in my office already. So I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of that. Plus the kit plan that I've got to buy all some classic kits as well. Um, Aaron Rogers was somebody who got in touch with us at Bottle Behemoth. He found a mug at his girlfriend's parents' house that was a World Cup 94 uh, Mars mug. I think my dad or my granddad had one of those at some point. Don't know what happened to it. But yeah, that was a great find. Thank you for getting in touch. I'll start that on the Twitter feed if you haven't seen it already. Uh, There's plenty of World Cup USA 94 in today's pod. But just before I we get into that, just a reminder as well that if you do listen to us on iTunes, one of the ways to really, really help this podcast and to keep us going throughout the summer into next season, there's still loads more themes to do. We've got the rest of the countdown to do. Um, I want to start doing some player specific uh, shows. Gazza is one I've already talked about, but if there's anyone that you think that you think we should do a show on, then let us know. We'll definitely look into that. Still got a couple more themes as well that we haven't even released. So yes, keep us going. Five star rating and a review on iTunes, it really, really does help. And talking of getting in touch, once you've listened to today's pod and we pick our 11s, please send us yours. Like, it's a hot... Like, you have to play by the rules, but please tweet us or get in touch on Facebook and, and show us your 11s. Where did you think we went wrong? Where we went right? And I must at this stage admit, on one of my picks, I won't say who because I don't want to spoil it, but I got a little bit overexcited, kind of got my World Cups intertwined. He still played within the rules because I still had the same guy and he could have applied for either World Cup. But I think some of the stories I was telling, I got quite a little bit confused. But you'll find out who it is uh, on today's show when we pick our 1-11. to So enjoy me and Joe Young picking our teams of the tournaments of the 90s here on Alive and Kicking. I'm Ash Rose. Enjoy the show. Joining me today on this special show then is uh, somebody we like to call, well, I don't know if he likes it, but I call it him anyway, the grandfather clock of, of <laughs> Alive and Kicking. Uh, somebody who's a friend, a regular, someone who was on the very first episode, although I, we shouldn't mention that because it often curses us because of the, the trouble we had at the beginning of the show. But welcome back, Mr. Juninho fan, somebody who loves tweeting about George Michael, not in the same time, I hope, but Joe Young, hello! Terrible, terrible issues now, thinking about Juninho and George Michael at the same time. They've never sort of crossed my mind at the same time but now they'll forever be entwined it's kind of some weird dream we don't want to go down that road but how are you doing yeah. buddy i'm all right i'm all right i'm doing this al fresco today oh get you it is hot. yeah i've got i've come i've come outside i'm walking the cat which is one of the things i like to do in my spare time how's the I'm cat out handling in this, the heat the cat well well he's a big fat black <laughs> um he's got a bit of Maine coon in him so he's a very hairy black cat so he's doing quite well considering but oh. there's a lot of it's like having a furry black puddle in the house. He's just oh, man-spreading all over the place. Yeah. God bless him. I've got a dog that's the same. They look at you just to say, what have you done? Why? Yeah, please, yeah, like, please stop this. Like it's my fault. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm outside. I'm, I'm al fresco. I'm wearing my Middlesbrough shirt, which is uh, black adorned with with Skybet Football League badges, unfortunately. But that's the way that that particular cookie crumbled. It's not the new one and, with uh, the, the giant sponsor, is it? No, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly bring myself to wear that. Uh, it's, so big. It's, that, that sponsor's ridiculous. I mean, there's certain things you can see from space, like the Great Wall of China and and, and Mount Everest and and Ramsden's currency written on the front of the new Middlesbrough shirt. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. It's you know, I'm a big Adidas fan, and obviously I'm a yes. Borough fan, and yeah, I just I'm not a fan of the new kit. I'm afraid. Sorry, nice. big sponsor. The away kit's not bad. It looks like the one, it's it's very similar to the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank away kit that was white and blue. BT you know, I, I always think uh, that was 888.com. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Back in, the, back in those days, yeah. I always think we should have either blue and white or blue and black. 
yeah. as our away kit. Oh, the Inter Milan and, and, one, I remember that one. That was lovely. Yeah, that's the, that's the one I think we should. It should always be. It should always be that those sort of Inter Milan colours for the away kits. What's happening with, with the the QPR kit? You've got area. We have, which you know, time. I know you're quite in depth with, and experienced of area over the oh, years. Oh yeah. But well, they uh, made they made the Spectrum kit, you know. You know the one we never won in, which we oh, think the one I love. Yeah, the yeah. one I, I hope to gain that at was, some point in my in my wall of kit fame that I'll do at some point in my office. With my with my that was let's that be. was such a peculiar kit because um they put they shifted the badge like the area logo and the badge like one along, so the yeah. area logo was where your club badge should be, and the club badge for that kit was on the arm. Very strange, very odd. But so you, weird. You were, you were tweeting about QPR in the week, weren't you? This is very 80s, so we're, also, we're going back a bit. But you were tweeting about our classic, which everybody loves at QPR. The rehashes have been everywhere of the, the 80s kit, the uh, Guinness kit, as it's called, with the red lining. But that's one of your favourites, isn't it? I love that. I think that's the best kit of the 1980s, Ash. Ah, well, I think it's, ev- it's, everything, it's everything. It just looks nice. Got a nice V-neck, Adidas, of course, and sponsored by Booze. What more do you want? And, <laughs> and, and the most important thing. Andrew Ridgely wears it in the video for Freedom he by Wham. He does indeed, so, yes. I think that's Pete, two Wham Pete Doherty wears it in a Libertines video as well. I could be wrong, no, I don't know. It's not, there you go. No, I've, it's not I my bag. I've seen him kicking about in it. Yeah, it's not my bag, yeah. I, I, I like it, but I am more sort of, I listen to more Night of the 90s and the fluorescent yellow piping we had, but let's talk more Ericsson. 90s. Yeah. Ericsson. Well, well, a bit before yeah. that, more influence. Influence view, kit. View from. Yeah. Well, no, View from was much later. Yeah, View from. But that's a, yeah. a very weird company from the 90s. Made the Olympic kit as well. Um, talking of yeah. 90s, that's due today's theme then. Because uh, as I said in my intro, we were going to do continue the countdown, but we're going to save that for whatever reason um, that I won't go into. But we're doing a special now. It's tournament time. Um, well, it would be if it was a tournament year. Saying that, though, lack of football. I was yesterday sitting on my uh, couch with my daughter feeding her some, well, lunch stroke dinner, whatever you want to call it in their world. And I was watching two football games simultaneously, so that doesn't happen very often. Granted, they weren't great in terms of the under-21s, no disrespect, and the Confed Cup, but it's not quite the same as a tournament, and we're missing that this summer. So we thought we'd fill that gap uh, with an 11. We like doing 11s on this podcast. I like doing them quite just randomly in my head, which is quite sad. But we are doing 11 today. Me and Joel have each picked one. And they've got a little rule. We've got some rules going on. So we have picked a team from the tournaments throughout the 90s. So you've got Italia 90, Euro 92, uh, USA 94, Euro 96 and World Cup 98. The, the rule is we can only pick two. We have to pick two players from each tournament. And mathematicians out there will realise that's 10. So we have an additional player that we can pick. But you have to have two from each. Um, I found this more difficult than I thought I would, Joel. I don't know about you. Euro 92 is the spanner, I... isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. That's the one. I think I, I, I had to sort of shoehorn somebody in who I probably wouldn't have picked under non, normal circumstances. But uh, yeah, this time I did. Yeah, Euro '92. Not. The, I think we're going to talk about it. But we, very strange tournament. Very peculiar. Well, it was hardly in, in, in eight teams. So that's that's not much to start. Eight teams. Yeah. Eight teams. Two points for a win, which I think somehow belongs to like black and white match of the days with Kenneth Walson Norm or Jimmy Hill, something like that. Yeah. Um, just, just very odd in some countries that don't exist anymore and some countries that have just begun to exist. How, how peculiar. And England who turned up, who might as well not have turned up. Yeah, it's not one to remember. At this point, I could say I have avoided the, the opportunity to make this a QPR-centric. Well, not quite QPR-centric. I couldn't get 11. That's ridiculous. But I could have picked Jang Skell for Czechoslovakia. Nice. Uh, Paul Parker, who was a QPR player at World Cup uh, 90, 1990, of course. And then Andy Sinton, who was in that Euro 92 squad, which uh, I think he gets labelled with one of the worst England squads and, uh, of that era. But still, I could have, but I've, I've, I have resisted that temptation. Um, and I also must say at this point, the 11 we've picked, 
because of the rule and because you know I'm not going to say this is both of our best 11s there are 11 players we enjoyed watching at that time at the certain tournaments for whatever reason so I'm, I'm sure there'll be tweeting, people tweeting saying why haven't you got him why haven't you got them but the rule might have prevented us or maybe we just had a preference over some players I, know... I mean I mean, the real shock is I haven't picked Janinho yeah we didn't really have a major say in tournaments did he did he play at 98 won the World Cup yeah he was in the, oh, no, I, he was in the squad I think he was in the squad in 98 2002? I can't. No, he yeah. didn't win the World Cup in that year. 2002, when they won the World Cup, he was in the squad. Yeah. So, yeah. So, right, you, you can get out of that one. You, didn't, you couldn't pick him because he said Because he said that winning the League Cup with us was more important to him than winning the World Cup with oh. Brazil, if you want to believe that. <laughs> you got a love little Janinho. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll kick off at the beginning. And also, if you want to listen back to, we've done podcasts on each of these tournaments. Each one of them, brilliant. We did two on Euro 96 last summer because it was 20 years as well, the anniversary. It's just so that big. It's just that big. It was just that magical. So go back in the archive and listen to those with some great memories. I've got an interview today as well, but I'll get to that uh, probably at the halfway point in our 11s. Uh, what formation have you gone for joe um a, a very <laughs> a very peculiar 442 okay right yeah a bit shoehorning going on i'm 433 so i've resisted okay. again i didn't try i tried to do 352 and be a bit glenn hoddle about it but that didn't work in the end so that's starting goal and i feel we're both going to pick the obvious one here because i being your own 92 it was it was easy but he is the obvious choice so i'm guessing you've picked the same yeah, uh, well, let's hope so, Mr. Peter Schmeichel. Uh, yeah, you're yes, an 82. Yes, I, um, I think, I think, I think for both of us, this is probably a case of seeing Peter Schmeichel and and wondering what tournament we could chew on him into. <laughs> but obviously, Denmark won the 92 Euros as well, so um, I, I don't think there's absolutely anything wrong with that. I watched the final. Um, I watched like a 15 minute highlight package of it this morning, and um, in that final, he pulled off three. Um, Three really, really blinding saves. I think one of them, one of them, especially when they're winning one nil, uh, Klinsman bullet header that, that Schmeichel yeah, keeps out, and that, I think yeah. that I think that's um, really, really, really exceptional. Um, I'm trying to think, of, oh, um, Stefan Reuter and uh, Guido Buchwald. Um, also, but, but yeah, that was good. That wasn't it. But obviously, I think the biggest thing that he did, um, obviously, there was those great saves in the in the final. But he saved the Van Basten penalty, and you know, there's two mighty. Names in the nineties game, isn't it? Van Basten versus Schmeichel in a penalty shootout. You know, <laughs> do you want, what more do you want? It's very, it's very early nineties, isn't it? As well, but yeah, absolutely. I, I just remember that him in that tournament. I mean, he was kind of a coming out party for Peter Schmeichel, wasn't it? Because he joined Man United the year before for like half a million, you know, like yeah. five hundred thousand. I think it five, was five, five, five fifty. Yeah, Ronby, ridiculously the bargain of the century, as they call it. But he, he really come to fruition in that tournament and he was the first kind of keeper I remember him coming for crosses with one hand this one giant Peter Schmeichel hand <laughs> his big melon hand yeah just grabbing it like it was the easiest thing he's ever done and then obviously the mm. throwing that we got so used to seeing over the years with, with Man United it was really with the, the, the tournament where he went, went okay we know who this guy is he'll go on to be of course what he was one of the best uh, goalkeepers and um, the Premier League has certainly seen possibly ever as well but it I mean, Euro 92, it was all about Denmark and he it was an mm. easy choice because he was the goalkeeper, but he, he was bloody brilliant in it, wasn't he? Yeah, and it's just, it, it's that story that everybody talks about with Denmark, but they weren't meant to be there and if it hadn't have been for the trouble in the Balkans and everything, Yugoslavia were disqualified, Denmark are in and then all of a sudden they're just completely imperious and, and win. It's kind of, it's one of them where you think, oh, if we, you know, you don't know what would have happened if if we'd have qualified, you know, if the Dutch had qualified in 94 or, you know, just those sort of weird little twists of fate that you sometimes get in football that all of a sudden, you know, all these horrendous scenes in Yugoslavia, but then it results in Denmark 
you know, when have they ever come close ever again ever. to no. anything like that? No, it was a fairy tale story for them, and, and the CIS were in it as well, which always makes me laugh. That's a random yeah, it's, point it's in funny. Russia's yeah, history. Yeah, the Commonwealth of Independent States. Random. And then the the reunified re, un, re Germany, if I can speak. There you go. But that was that that was the thing. I think I think if if you remember that tournament at all, it's because of it's it's either because of uh, was was that the game in which Lineker got the tournament, which Lineker yeah. got substitute yeah. for Alan Smith. Alan Smith. Yeah, I remember it for and that, that, and also yeah. ITV's probably the greatest theme tune to any sort of tournament they've ever done. Paul Young and You Are the Number One is an no, absolute tune. Absolutely. Didn't we use that later on for uh, NZV? Yeah, we did. Have we mentioned that last time? Yeah. Yes, yes, we did. We always end up on crap 90s music, don't we? <laughs> really bad music, really bad telly. Yeah, it's where it eventually leads us, but there's a lot of football mixed into that. Do you know what? I've got Peter Schmeichel's Wikipedia page open just to okay. clarify a couple of bits when we were talking before. And I've just re- kind of glanced in and realised that he's now working as part of the WWF, which in my head... Is the wrestling? Is wrestling not the World Wildlife Fund? So I had to go. Hang on, I never knew about this, but no, he's working as some sort of role in the. I've completely read the article, but yeah. Well, when I was watching him today, I, I thought, God, doesn't he look like a grown-up Bart Simpson? Because he's got the spiky blonde he hair. Does. Yeah. And then, I, and then I thought, well, actually, but then, then leading us on to WWE is because I always think that Bart Simpson, that Brock Lesnar. Looks like Bart Simpson, but all just on a up. load of steroids. Yeah, all grown up. Yeah, he does actually. Yeah, don't know what says about Casper yeah. Michael. He's somewhere in between the two, isn't he? Yeah. But well, Peach Michael, easy choice. Um, let's go to our back fours, and we both got a back four. Mine is made up of uh, two. Yeah, okay. Let's let's go with my right back first of all. Um, I found right back really quite difficult at one point. Um, I had yes. I had Andres Bremer kind of shoehorned in at right back even though he played pretty much his whole career somewhere yeah, nearly, down nearly, the left and he tried to get away with putting Maldini in at, at well right he, back, yeah he, he did play I think a few times at right I think he got more away with that than I would with Andres Bremer but then somehow yeah. this popped back into my head I don't know remember what, how I found this route a bit of research in the end and possibly the only right back that could go in because he had <laughs> a, a, a game especially the semi-final in 1998 that no right back oh, yes, probably the same, is it the same one um, yeah. I think because it's the only pick that's why it's Lillian Duran, who we all remember as the, the right back for France in in 1998, um, he scored two two goals in the yeah. semi final against Croatia. His his only two only international two. goals that he ever scored. Yeah, he only ever scored two international goals, and that was then it's, in the same game within about ten minutes of each other. But it's and it's somebody who let's be fair, um, he's probably one of France's. If they're taking an all-time France eleven, his name's got to be in and there about because he was a solid, consistent defender. Um, their most capped player. Their actually. most capped player. Great fact. You always think that's going to be a goalkeeper for some reason, don't you? But that says it all yeah. that how many caps. I think because we're used to Peter Shilton, although I was going to say Wayne Rooney, but maybe no, maybe you won't overtake him now. No, he's been I don't ousted. think he will. Um, but yeah, Chiram, absolutely consistent. Although I think he was a mistake for one of the goals in that game, wasn't it? The Suki he was goal? out of Davasuka, yeah, yeah, he was out of position. Uh, totally. Then he, then a minute later, I think it was, or two minutes later, straight back up the pitch. I, I, I read some, I read some interviews with him earlier on, and he said, uh, he said, it, it, it's not really a quote you expect from a football player, but he said that match was his Miles Davis moment, Ooh. where we, he just said he associated his football with free jazz, where he just went, just he didn't quite know what was happening, but everything was perfect. Ooh, well, how very perfect. Guardian, very yeah, yeah, very very like that, isn't it? But I mean, they only conceded two goals in that tournament in yeah. uh, France in '98, you know, and one against Denmark and and the Davosuka goal um, that Croatia scored against them. But the rest of them, one, two, three, four, five clean sheets. 
pretty impressive in a World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Marcel, I mean, Marcel Desailly was somebody that I toyed with. He's not spoiler alert. He's not a defender. I yes, pick, I knew. I toyed with him as well. He is another one of, of course, he was a colossus for Chelsea as well. Okay, so we both picked Lillian Turam and Pitch Michael. Let's hope there's something different. Just, then. Uh, just so um, I think Lillian Turam. This is not. Spoiler alert! But Lillian Turam is the only uh, the only player I've chosen with a lady's name oh, okay. for his first name. So, so, that's so just... Carol Poborski is not in your eleven. Yeah, he's not. In... <laughs> <laughs> the only one I could think of on the top. Yeah, of my no, head. that was very that was very good to come up with that because I can't think. Of no, hey, oh, we're all right. Carol Poborski. Well I did look at Poborski, but other than that chip, I mean, come on, really? I think he's I all... thought Patrick. I looked at Patrick Berger. He still scored in the final, didn't he? Oh, we're giving yeah. it to, we're giving it away anyway. So that's that's Carol Moore's defence. Who is yes. your first? Centre back in your back. Centre back. Okay, this might be. Um, this is somebody who actually only I'm picking him from World Cup 1990, Italia, okay. uh, an Italian player who who had been playing since 1978, but wow. only played in the World Cup in 1990, and that would be Franco Baresi. Ah, what a legend! <laughs> Absolute. Uh, just, just. Uh, I, I read a thing today. I, I read a little article about him today, and and it, somebody described him as the greatest antidote to the art of goal scoring the world has ever seen. <laughs> that is that. Oh God, I can't even. I've got no words for that. That should be on a t-shirt or something. That yeah, is fantastic. Amazing. The greatest antidote to the art of goal scoring that the game has ever seen. I think. I think if you look at, you know, obviously we were we were quite obsessed with Italian football. Yeah. I think the Italian league probably was the best league in the world in the late eighties, early nineties. Obviously, the AC early 90s, Milan, yeah, yeah, and AC Milan sort of running roughshod over everybody, you know, and and Baresi sort of absolutely part of that, you know, part of that whole culture of you will not get past the uh, Catanaccio Dobbold system, yeah, um, Italian. Football one nil nil nil, you know two nil. You, know, you didn't particularly see it's the high way they scoring. Won games. Yeah, it's the way they won games. Yeah. The thing about Baresi, I, mean, I don't know if this is a thing of an aging to me, but whenever I see him, and even when I see stickers of him, even before Italia ninety going into the eighties, he always looks like a vet. Like he always looks like that man at the back. There. Yeah, like he doesn't look like he's ever was a young man. I'm sure he was at some point, and yeah, somebody got to roll right, out he, some pictures from Twitter. People that, who were born that age, people yeah, who were born that age, like Tom Bosley like, or yeah, Happy Days or Angela fair. Lansbury. Just people who were always that old. Yeah, all Kenny Douglas's looked the same pretty much all his life as well. He's nothing, yeah, he has, yeah, I'll give you age. that. But yeah, he always looked like that trusty vet at the back. I mean, an Italian 90, as much as, I mean, it's the first tournament I really remember. Um, I think we, me and possibly people of that era look at it a little bit rose-tinted, because although the tournament and what England did, obviously a great ride that we had, mm. uh, it wasn't a great tournament. It was a very... Most for most of it, it was quite a dull defensive tournament, but probably summed up by the hosts who had this amazing defence. Um, mm. Only conceded, didn't they? Was it? Was it in the last Hold game? On. I've got the stats. Stats. Go on, do the stats. Okay, um, five consecutive clean sheets. Two goals scored against them. They went. Un- didn't have a goal put past them from the start of the tournament until 518 minutes when Argentina equalised against them in the semi-final. That's, that's that's a World Cup record, by the way. Nobody's uh, nobody's done that, and Brazil's at the heart of that, of course. So that's um, that's why I picked him. Really, I mean, they didn't. If you if you look at who Italy played, Czechoslovakia, Austria, USA, Uruguay is a tough game. Ireland, Argentina, although the Irish pushed them, um, you know that it's not. You know, once they, they faced a real big team, then they were out. But 
um, still to do that in the World Cup. You're not really coming up against any duffers, are you? Particularly? No, but You're not, not then as well when there was, let, well, I think, 16 teams at 1990, whereas, I don't know, by 2020, there's going to be like 400 or something teams, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Or as much as they want to go over saturation completely. Um, but yeah, Brazy, great pick. I'm g- <laughs> This is going to be bad now. I'm going to go for the complete <laughs> opposite now. And All again, right, this from is the this sublime to the ridiculous. Completely right, ridiculous as well. And this is where this kind of, not rule, but kind of, where you're trying to pick these players. And there's certain players that just sum up the era, sum up how I was feeling at the time, and players I just kind of took to for some reason. And this guy, I mean, people who listen to this and listeners who are regulars on this podcast will know about me and USA 94. This guy donned the greatest kit of all time, <laughs> TM, as I like to call it. You're not it, playing You're not playing Roy Wegley as centre-back, are you? <laughs> I could have picked Wegley, I know. It only occurred <laughs> to me when we started recording this, but in fairness to him, he didn't particularly have a decent showing at the World Cup. But, um, I mean, this guy didn't in terms of, you know, USA were very much in the infancy of what they, the league and the team that they even become now. They're, you know, they're not spectacular now, but they're a solid, decent outfit who give you a good game. Back then, football was very much, or soccer, was very much coming back into fruition in, in America, which is part of them hosting it. And this guy kind of summed up the, the colourfulness, the fun, yet probably not the <laughs> ability, and I think he'd say it so himself, of the American team. And that's Alexi Lalas. Oh, I've got hair like Alexi Lalas at the minute, big ginger <laughs> curly hair. I can't quite manage the Van Gogh beard. Oh, he had, you know, a, he had quite, a beard and a half. Not quite there. It's, it's like a Jim the Anvil Neidhart goatee. There's was. another obscure wrestling <laughs> thing. I wonder like. if he grabbed it laughing at any point in I quite a yeah, when he scored. Yeah, yeah that, The best thing about him as well, I always remember, well, not the best thing maybe for him, but something I really remember is that Upper Deck had the the card collection at the time. I think I talked about this on our cards and stickers pod way, way back, go in the archive and listen to it. But some of the Upper Deck cards had like a section of them that were off the pitch. I think they remember, I remember like David Platt being on the beach, which was kind of, it, well, that's where he was. Yeah, that's ironic in was. the end because that's where exactly where the England team were because they didn't qualify. But Alexi Lalas's card was him, glasses, cap, Polo shirt, guitar, full on. Like this nice. is this That's... is what Alexi Lad. This is what America are treating the World Cup like. And he was fun, and he was an iconic player. He's become quite a hero and quite quite a symbol of that era. I know he's still and heavily... he's still doing just their telly, doesn't he? And yeah, everything. and he's he's part of LA Galaxies. He's one of the heads up there, and he's been part of the MLS for so pretty much since then. After retiring, he's very much always in it. He's, he actually likes a few of our tweets on, on Twitter every now and then. It'd be great to have him on the show. So if he is, for whatever reason, listening, come on the show, Lexi. There's nothing but love for you. And there's so many pictures that bounce around the, the, the Twitter feeds, some of us from us, of him at that time with a guitar for whatever photo shoot somebody made him do. And I think he just enjoyed being part of it. And, and that American team and that American kit, it just sums up that amazing World Cup for me. He reminded me very much of the singer out of the pop band, uh, The Spin Doctors. Oh, their song, um, Two Princes. Two Princes, there you go. I didn't know that. That was good. So, yeah, so, you know, if you want to compare and contrast, was he the captain as well? The captain of America? Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Looking, looking exactly like the singer of some One It Wonder 1990s band, and I think that song came out about the same time, 1994, so there you go. All rolled into one night. There's a really good, what I'll try and find... Later on, if I can, is there's a really excellent, oh, here we go, Mary Whitehouse experience bit written wow. by David Bedell about the world. Pre-fantasy football, yeah. Yeah, and I'll see if I can find it. It's like, it, it's just everything that you would expect. If I can find it, I'll send it to you later on and, and you can pop it up for everybody's delectation. Oh, I'll look forward to that. Anything to do with SN94, as people know, it's my favourite World Cup and, and I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so you're sitting next to Berezi in your back four. Who have you gone for, Joe? 
well, I've got it. I'm having to cheat and shoehorn him into a different tournament. But luckily, this guy played a few tournaments, so that was good. Um, from Euro '96, I'm going Le Président, ah, Laurent Blanc, Laurent Blanc, Laurent Blanc. Yeah, the the man who's it just sounds like he's got no uh, consonants in his name at yeah. all, isn't it? <laughs> Laurent Blanc. Yeah, it's also like my favourite French name of all time is Jean Pierre Papin. Because uh, I'll tell get... you what mine is. Do you know what mine is? Go on. Oh, the big sounds Lizarazu. Oh, they're just brilliant, aren't they? Just... Yeah, I love Lizarazu. Yeah, great player as well. But go on, tell us more about Laurent Blanc. Well, I mean, obviously he won it in won the World Cup in '98, yeah. but. Um, I'm going from 96. I mean, him and Desai were the centre-back pairings. Obviously, he's, had, he's just had a couple of mentions, but I haven't haven't picked him. I'm not sure why, but I remember him scoring the opener against um, Bulgaria to get them, th- and, that, and that got them through through the uh, through the quarters, I think, in in that tournament. And then he, um, you know, he wasn't afraid to step up and take a penalty either. And I just always quite liked him. I always thought he was a classy, yeah. a good, proper, classy, classy not blood and thunder. Could read the game well, knew exactly what was coming in front of him. And I think you I think you've mentioned this before to me about, you know, people sort of there's a bit of a question mark over his Manchester United mm. time, but I I thought he was a fine player at Manchester yeah, United. Yeah, I think there was that little spell of games they had and I remember a headline that spelled out his name like B L A N K and it had some of the teams that they mm. faced they went through a dodgy period of losing games and it's something to do with that in my head but yeah I think overall I mean and, and what I remember I mean this isn't 96 and it's more 98 which I, I've had to shoehorn someone in for that as well for that reason but they've played in both but kissing Fabian Barthez's head I mean that's something that's just oh, iconic that's iconic yeah. yeah and then he scored the first golden goal as well I think Paraguay again in 1995 in 98. 98 so he has a big, yeah, he did. big say in, in sort of milestones and, and in moments in, in that decade more so probably than Marcel Dessier which so kind of says you would go more Blanc than Dessier but equally as good but I think Laurent Blanc yeah I think you've nailed it on the head there classy wasn't he yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, they, they only went out on penalties to the Czech Republic. Yeah. And again, they only conceded two goals throughout their whole run up to that. I mean, that, that semi was a nil-nil. Uh, I, I think we were all crying still from the night before on that one. But um, but yeah, it's just, just a classy all-round player. World Cup winner, semi-finalist in the Euros. I don't think you can complain about that. No. And, uh, do you know what? I'm backing that up. I haven't got Laurent Blanc or Marcel Desailly, but someone okay. equally as classy and... A defender, sweeper, defensive midfielder like no other, I think. Um, it pains me to say it because you mentioned that night um, in uh, at Wembley, but Matthias Sammer here in 96. Oh dear, yes. I mean, there's not many defenders. Not only was he you know, the winner of that player of the tournament, Ballon d'Or in 1996, European Football of the Year. Yeah, that doesn't happen, does it? That doesn't it, happen with defenders. You know, Cannavaro is the only one I can really remember off the top of my mm. head in 2006, and he was equally as dominant I mean, but there's just Samar he's a very rare defender that he again rarely out of position rarely out of place bar the first three minutes of that semi-final against England Shearer didn't really have a sniff against Samar in that game no, and he no. rightfully deserved throughout the tournament kept a lot of brilliant brilliant strikers um, quite quiet during that and you know you look at his footballing career as well outside of Germany into Milan Borussia Dortmund then the stuff he's done uh, for the national team he's, he was just a lot of these players, I've realised when I was going through it and looking back at the team that I picked, they just made the game look pretty easy, and which is hard to do. And some might call mm. it languid and loose, but he really did. And he was just a defender that not only have we not seen internationally, I don't think Germany have really. He was just he could, the fact that he could play just in those bug four. The only name that I kind of want to try and link him to in modern times, and this is doing him a disservice completely. But I think if John Stones became John Stones, who people think he might 
turn into. Yes, yeah. I don't know if he ever will, you know, let's mm. see what Pep Guardiola does with him. But I think that's the kind of defender they expect John Stones to turn into, that Matthias Sammer, absolute linchpin of that Germany team in 96, and pretty much in around that time. So I've got a ginger back too, I just realised. That's nice, that's good. I, I just remember the Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle speaking about Sammer at the time, just saying like, you know, those. Why can't Why can't England play with Germany? You know, like build round a player like Sammer, and they went, "You'll be waiting a long time because we haven't got a player like Sammer, and I don't think we ever we ever will." You know, I mean, I, I can't even think who would sort of come close close to that. I can't, it's certainly nobody in a in an England shirt. No, he won the. I think he won the. Cha- yeah, he won the Champions League with Dortmund as well. Which at that time, Dortmund yeah. weren't the Dortmund that we've seen like under Klopp and stuff. So they were very much. Mm. You know, under the radar in German football, but that team with him and I think Paul Lambert was in that team randomly as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, fantastic to, to my centre back. It's um, always like it's always like when you remember that Alan McAnally played for Bayern Munich. Alan McAnally. Did he play for Munich or Dortmund? One of the two. I think it's Munich. Uh, yeah. yeah. You just think how did that happen? I think he played in France as well, didn't he, Alan McAnally? Mm, yeah. yeah. It's very 80s. Like Mark Cately yes. playing for AC Milan. I remember Mark Cately as that. Signing we made at QPR that made us go, oh, why have we signed Mark Hately? But he you know, played for AC Milan in the 80s. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, left back, this one, right. Do you know what? I was When I was building my team, there was defence mm. I found hardest because I think, as we've said, defenders are not well remembered instantly. Mm. as there are, there are certain players that I just went whack straight into my team and they are the attacking players in my 4-3-3. And defenders, I have, as I said, I kind of have Andrus Bramery in my back four at some point all along because of what he did in 1990. Um, and yeah. he was still about in 92 as well, so I could add him for either or. Then it suddenly occurred to me, this guy, and for me, watching him, the change that he had from 90 to 96, I've picked him for Euro 96, so I've got two Euro 96 yeah, I know where you're going. Yeah. Okay. And what he, the character he showed, and he's somebody that I don't think anybody has a bad word to say about as a footballer, and that's Stuart Pearce. I mean... yeah. Forget, okay, yeah, he's a hard man, he's hard in the tackle, you never see him smile, even in the 91 cup final when he scored that free kick, he didn't even celebrate, he didn't break character, again, bringing the wrestling terminology in there. <laughs> but in 1990, he, lives he loves his gimmick, he hears his gimmick, keep your fans yeah. as a kid as well, allegedly. Um, we actually turned him down, stupidly, as, as many of the story goes. Oh, that, that's good. Yeah, of course, that was a good move. Nottingham Forest fans, you're, you're welcome. Or Coventry as he started his career. But no, I remember 1990 and him, I don't say missing because Kopka saved the penalty. He didn't miss it. So, you know. Yeah. But his miss was. Felt, unlike, unlike Mr. Waddle. Exactly. His, his miss, I mean, it was still going somewhere above the Turin Stadium, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's such a ridiculous miss. If you're going to miss the penalty, I suppose miss it in style. But his, I felt, I've never seen him break character, as I said, and, and cry. He it was proper in tears. And I really felt for him, even as a kid watching that. We're all so crushed. And then six years later, I mean. We shouldn't have been in that game as it is, as he stepped up to that penalty. The, the Spain. Spain game. Yeah, yeah, Spain should have won that game there. That goal disallowed that was clearly onside. They were the better <laughs> team as well. And I just remember that kind of collective hush as Pierce stepped up to that penalty. Because I don't know what missing again, even someone like Stuart Pierce, I don't know what that had done to him. Because you can tell how much you know playing for England meant to him. And, and he fact, was firing them in all the time for yeah, Forest. all the time. The, yeah. yeah, you never see Pierce he missed as well. Psycho, as they like to call him. And when that went in, and obviously the celebration has become iconic, and you see it over and over again, especially whenever England's to do slightly well at a tournament, they roll out that Pierce, come on England, mm. images on t-shirts and posters and blah, 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 blah. But we all, at the time, 
when you're in it and that magical summer as we always say of Euro 96 it was amazing mm. that celebration you know all that kind of tension from six years or to let out which I loved but then the penalty like a few days later that he scored against Germany again and this is a semi-final it's Germany and he slotted that one in perfectly and the celebration after that I think I like it a little bit more because it's just like a wry smile to say mm. yeah okay that's that done that's well, that's move thing. on gone back to business as usual then yeah. you know it's like you said they could almost see the demons escape from his soul as he was screaming you know it's uh, with the penalty against Spain and then just against Germany it was very much bang business as usual this is what I do this is what I can do and yeah and I don't think any I mean if not in Forest fans must adore him by his managerial prowess at the city ground but I mean I don't think I've ever met someone who goes I never really liked Stuart Pearce or I don't really rate Stuart Pearce because he's, he's I, decent well, the, the one game he, he had as England manager Holland <laughs> Oh God, uh, yeah. we, we went to that and we, we we ended up with like boxes in Wembley. My friend had won a competition and we ended up with like a free three course meal and beers and all that. And we ran into Pierce after the game and I think we got beat or I think we got beat three two. And uh, of course, like there's a picture of me and Stuart Pierce and he just looks very unhappy on that picture. If you want to see an unhappy picture of a, <laughs> <laughs> of a man, because I don't suppose like the England manager who probably knew he wasn't going to get the job wasn't yeah. then particularly happy to be collared by a minging drunk clown from Middlesbrough <laughs> particularly but there he was no, he, was, he, was a, he was a pundit on the, uh, the under 21 just day which is presented by David Prutton which is really yes. random yeah yeah so they've got a few Scott Minto does yeah. uh, Spanish league as well which I think didn't he play for imagine he played for Benfica doesn't mean anything <laughs> yeah, does, to as far yeah. as the Spanish league oh, yeah, Scott Scott goes it's near enough yeah God, Scott Minto at Benfica there's a throwback okay so I've got Stuart Pearce as my left back um, I get the feeling you haven't gone, Piercy, so who no. is in your left-back spot? I've gone about as opposite as, from Stuart Pearce as you <laughs> possibly could go in terms of geography, in terms of attitude, in terms of defensive capabilities. Uh, Mr. Roberto Carlos. Oh, I thought you were talking about Pascal Chimbonda, but all right, go on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I wasn't quite going that far. And yeah. I think Roberto Carlos, who kind of, even though he was the left-back, sort of summed up Brazil of that time, I think, just an exciting, marauding, happy goal-scoring full-back. Obviously, I think that mad free kick against France is kind of yeah. in Le Tournois the year before. Uh, I think that's kind of influenced this a lot, even though that was like the year before. Uh, but I just loved him. He's kind of, you know, we were... We, we, this is Middlesbrough. This is Middlesbrough all over. We were linked with Roberto Carlos all that, all that summer and, um, in sort of 96, 97 you know, not when we were relegated, but we ended up with Branco. <laughs> See, I think he went the wrong way. You know, we ended up with the fat old defender instead yeah. of the young, cool, live okay. defender. So, yeah, just he love very him. Much the, uh, the Thomas Brolin's way, didn't he? Branco? Oh, my God. Yes, yes. And um, he's, um, I mean, he's just, he was just fast, skillful, cool. You know, obviously, one of the stars in that Nike advert that we talked about uh, before on the other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. First one with his head in his hands when the uh, when it hits the post. Yeah. yeah, just an absolutely, just an outstanding. Not, not. It wasn't a slouch at fullback, but that probably wasn't what he was about. He was about getting forward, attacking. Um, it could spray the ball around. You know, just loved him. Loved Roberto Carlos. He, could, he changed the game, didn't he? For fullbacks, really. You can argue with him and Cafu on the other side. He was somebody I looked at as well. But I think his time was probably more 2002 Cafu. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But Roberto Carlos, I mean, he, going forward, he was. From, he scored straight from a corner once, I remember, for Real Madrid. Yes, I remember that. Which, not, oh, not even like a, like a bendy one. He literally 
thought I'm going to shoot from and he hit the side of the net. It was it's an mm. unbelievable goal. But yeah, he really was. Fullbacks changed thanks to Roberto Carlos. You look at someone like, and I'm not saying Carl Walker's in his league, but Carl Walker, having seen him when he was a QPR on loan, he's very much in that mould of, I will, you know, pace is his thing. He's brilliant at attacking. Mm. He has improved defensively miles as well, Carl Walker. But he, Roberto Carlos, you can trace it back to him and how he changed the way we look at fullbacks and three five yeah. twos and and things like that. Absolute skills that they come to. Well, they don't do defenders very often, do they, Brazil? And when they do, they're no. probably better attackers than most of us anyway. So. Absolutely, yeah. He was one I looked at for sure, Roberto Carlos. And, but I went for for Piercy in the end. So, um, so that was it. what was your defence then? Your back four. That's just a recap and we we'll take a break there. Peach Michael, Roberto Carlos, Franco Baresi. Uh, we'll say centre back. <laughs> oh, Lauren Blanc. Lauren Blanc. And- yeah. And uh, Lilian Turam. Yeah, and I had Schmeichel, Turam, Alexi Lalas, Matthias Stammer and Stuart Pearce. So we'll just take a quick break there. We've got an interview today. It's not one of the guys involved in our teams, unfortunately, as much as I tried to get them on Twitter. But, you know, short notice, they're busy lads, I, I, I guess. Um, but we have got a good interview with former Leeds midfielder Andy Cousins, who was part of that Leeds young team that, that beat Man United in the Class of 92 in the uh, the Youth Cup. And he also went on to play for Leeds in the Premier League. And he really, really is somebody who likes the era, really talking to him and he what he finds different about now and 90s and growing up and playing in that era so here is me talking to Andy Cousins earlier this week on Alive and Kicking. Joining me now on Alive and Kicking is former Leeds ace Andy Cousins. How are you doing Andy? I'm very well thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to take you back. Uh, you're very much a name Leeds fans will remember from the era that we celebrate here on Alive and Kicking. Just tell us what it was like growing up because you would have been in and around the club when they just won the league as well in 92. What was it like in the old YTS and, and all that? Um, good fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose is the best way to describe it. Um, you know, our apprentice years and, you know, we we obviously didn't, uh, well, we we were 14 when we first started being at the club realistically. You know, we weren't, you know, like it is now, like eight or or even six, I believe. You know, we were, we were 14 when we first signed for the club, went into schoolboy forms. And I can remember getting the... Uh, the letter through the post to tell me if I have or I haven't got an apprenticeship down at Leeds, basically from coming back from school. And, you know, I was one of the fortunate ones who, who got one and, um, you know, went into full time. And, you know, we, we did, we had a, we had a good team at the second year, obviously we had a very good team with winning the youth cup, um, you know, against the, the so-called class of 92, we called them, and, you know, we beat them all in 93. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, we had, we had some good times. We had a, some good lads who were there who, who came through and, you know, we'd, we'd signed Mark Tinkler who was playing for England at the time. I think he was actually the England captain and, you know, we had Jamie Forrest and Kevin Sharp who were there as well. They were also playing for England at the time. So we we knew that we were, I, th- I think we knew we were the start of a, a good crop of players coming through, which was, which was good. Um, you know, the second year we had a few other players who came through, you know, from the, in the first year. Uh, side of things so um but yeah no it, it we did we had we had some good fun we had court cases we had if anybody had done anything wrong we all had jobs to do we mm. all had to you know clean boots and and do the jobs which i think i personally still think that, that these apprentices should be doing now but because uh, i think it it teaches you some discipline and team spirit and you know a togetherness which uh, i think is kind of missing a little bit out of football nowadays um to be honest with you Mm, definitely, and that team we mentioned before, been Harold Wilkinson. Did you have much of, did you have much of Howard Wilkinson at the time? Because it was very much a, a manager of that era as well. Did you come across him in your early days? 
Yeah, we it was we we trained at the club and um you know we we played on Saturdays up at you know on Fullerton Park as well when the first team were at home so we we got the fans watching but we also had all the all the first team was playing and you know I can remember when we won the youth cup in 93 and against the Man United team which you know everybody knows everybody from that team with with Beckham and the Nevilles and you know Casper and Thornley and Savage and Scholes and Butts and you know, they had the whole whole shebang in there and we, we beat them and, and the one thing which I can remember from that night in particular was that every single first team player who had won the league the year before were there basically supporting us and also went out with us that night um, and wouldn't allow us, we were, we were a trek like royalty from, from the first teamers and we, we, we all felt that we, that we were a big part of the club. Um, you know, the manager, you know, was always around, he was always there watching um, I'd had quite a lot of, uh, you know, action in the in the reserve team then as well, which obviously was was the first teamers, and the gap was always there. And you know, McKennigan was the was the assistant manager who was always there as well. They were always, you know, mixed up the team, and 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 the gap was always around watching. And yeah, you, you know, you, you knew he was there. You you were scared of going to see the gaffer. You were scared to go into the first team dressing room and and things like that. There was a there's a real aura about a lot of the players who were there at that time. And um, you know, certainly for you know, from my point of view, yeah, my, my second year, I was I was fortunate to be, be playing quite a lot in the reserves, and I was fortunate fortunate to get a, a, a pro contract before my apprenticeship was up as well. Um, so you know, I, I was I was quite heavily involved in the reserve team, and I, I actually made my debut as well in the um, in the first team when I was a when I was actually um, you know a, a first a second year apprentice as well, which was against Grampus Eight. Um, you know, I, I was playing and, uh, you know, again, you know, the manager didn't really say much to you. It was Paul Hart for me who mm. was saying most things to us. But uh, but you knew you knew that uh, you knew that Howard was always around and, you know, he was he was definitely before his time. I think he was he definitely had had looked into things a lot more. Um, he, he, he knew how he wanted to play the game and the discipline which was needed and things. So, yeah, you know, we we had a lot to do with the first team and a lot to do with uh, you know the uh, the you know the manager and the and the staff and everything else, but I think you know going back to the original point of when you realistically when you when you're cleaning boots and you're doing you know I'm, I'm my boot boy well, I was boot boy for Gary McAllister who then looked after you basically he he sorted your boots out he you know he sorted you know those clothes I used to get I used to get suits off him you know it was the 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 boys really looked after the apprentices and that, again I think that kind of between the first team and the reserves and the and the youth team kind of disappears a little bit and makes it harder for these young kids to to come through and and, and into the into the first team nowadays and uh, you know certainly nowadays it wasn't it wasn't like that you know Gary Mack was I still speak to Gary now and so that's a friendship which you met from a young age and you know doesn't matter what you're doing and where you're going you you do still keep in touch and it's um, you know that comes down to me being his boot boy in you know, when I was 15, 16 years old. Hmm. Very different. Now, Grandpa Say, how very 90s. Was that a friendly, I believe? Uh, the Grandpa Say one was, yeah. It was, uh, it was Gary Lineker's last, uh, last game in, in, in the UK. Um, and I played, uh, well, I ended up starting. It was, it's a quite a funny story, really. I actually, I played a game through the week and I was playing on a Saturday. I played a, a midweek game in the reserves as well and played well. And, and Paul Hart just got me to one side on Friday and just said, look, because you're not training today. I said, you know, just go home. You need to rest. You've had a lot of football lately. We need you later on. Right, fine, no way. So I actually rang my mate, one of my best mates, and um, and I rang him. I said, you're back from, from college. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm back. I said, do you fancy a few drinks? He goes, yeah. And we went out and got absolutely leathered. Um, <laughs> 
basically. And then I came in the next day and I didn't have my wash bag with me or boots or anything like that. Obviously, the, you know, they were there, you know, my boots were in the, in the, in the club. But, uh, you know, one of the lads said, oh, you, you're in the squad today. And I'm like, really? Um, so obviously, quick quick visit to get some chewing gum over the road and <laughs> walked in and uh, and I was up on the list and I, I ended up playing because Ray Wallace never turned up. Um, so I ended up playing the full 90 minutes. I actually played all right and, uh, and and things. But yeah, I actually made my debut, yes, with a with a bit of a hangover, to say the least, I would say. <laughs> Well, I'm just looking. I found a picture of it actually, and Leeds were playing in one of those famous '90s kits. So I bet that didn't help you hang over that horrible blue and yellow. That horrible. horrible blue thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although yeah. I love those kind of kits. What was it like <laughs> then to to represent Leeds? Obviously, you'd been there as a from such a young age. What was it like then to represent them in the Premier League and in the first team? How did that feel? Well, I think at the time you don't really you don't really think anything of it. You just think it's a natural progression. I think mm. now more than anything, I think you're quite proud of what you did as a you know as a kid, and and, and I think it's something which every every kid out there at school at this present moment in time is wanting to play in the Premier League and you know I could turn around and say I did it and, and, and that's that's the pleasure which you get you know my niece and nephew you know love that side of it that I, you know I used to play and, and friends kids ask me a lot about you know playing in the Premier League and things like that which you know as an actual player yeah you're very proud of what what you did as a career it was a pity it didn't last longer um, for me personally but um, you know these things happen um, but yeah, you know, Leeds as a as a club, I still work there now. I work I work down there on match days. Um, you know, down there now and see some of the old boys and stuff down there, which is great. We still all have the same camaraderie and and things. And it's something which nobody can take. And it, you know, Leeds is a it is a very family club. It's you know, which people don't really get. Um, you know, that side of it, I suppose. But you know, once you once you've been once you've been in that dressing room and once you put the shirt on, then you know, every Leeds fan does. Um, you know, they definitely remember. Um, you and, and definitely respect what you've done and, and things, which is great. And as I say, nobody can take away, you know, playing in the Premier League, playing in European games, playing for under twenty ones and things. It's uh, you know, it was it was a great pleasure, but it, it's just one of them. Unfortunately for me, it was one of them things which came to a, an end earlier than I thought it would have done. To be honest, during your your time at Leeds, I mean, and, and at the top division, who were the the best players you'd say you played with and, and the best you played against? Um, well, the best—I think the best people I, I played with really was the—you know—you've you, got Gary Speed, mm. um, you know, who was who was brilliant with all the young lads. Uh, Gary Mack, unbelievable. Gordon Strachan, Tony Aboa, um, David Batty. You know, I didn't play too much with Bats to be honest. Bats went a little bit early uh, than when I when I started playing, but I, I played against David, and he was unbelievable. I would say he was one of the hardest players for me personally to play against. Um, you know, Patrick Vieira, I played against him and, and he was, well, he basically finished my career, I would say, down at Leeds, really, because he, he absolutely battered me down at down at, uh, down at Arsenal and I never played again um, after that game. Um, you know, Thierry Henry, when he was at Monaco, we played against, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole load of players. I think, you know, football in the 90s was totally different to what the football is now and you had characters and... Mm and things and, and I think them characters are, are slightly disappearing um, you know from the game unfortunately but you know we, we had a we had a good laugh between us all you know we we, we even went on holiday with, with the lads from Liverpool and and things which you know you, that would be just unheard of um, you know end of season trip with 22 Leeds lads and, and 15, 12, 15 Liverpool lads you just wouldn't hear of that being organised by the lads to, to go away really um, be all over social but, media wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> well, it would. You, you, well, you wouldn't. Be, you wouldn't get a moment's peace. Yeah. Um, you know, we we actually threw 
threw one of the lads in. He was his stag do, so we actually threw him in the, uh, you know, in the in the harbour in Marbella, and you know you wouldn't get away with that nowadays. Um, you know that's just you know we used to, you know the lads used to go out. We used to go out most Wednesdays and and things, and the first team would go out. We would go out. You know it would, it was a real it was a, there was a real togetherness, and I think that that proved with Leeds when they won the league, and then also when we won the uh, you know we won the youth cup as well. Before we let you go, you did have a brief spell as well at Carlisle United at the end of the 90s. What were the lower leagues like at that point? It's not something we've covered enough probably on our podcast, but how was it like playing for Carlisle at that time? Um, very different. Um, you know, the well, I, I played at Carlisle, I also played at Blackpool as well. Um, the biggest the biggest one was simple. The biggest biggest change was out to wash my own kit. Mm. Um which was, you know, unheard of, you'd, you know, because you'd, you'd never had to do it. Even as an apprentice, you never had to wash your own kit um, and things. You know, you got your kit given and that was your kit for the year. And, you know, I actually ended up paying one of the apprentices um, to do it for me. And I had I had him then to do my boots and everything else because that's what I was used to. And, and the other lads were like, what are you, what are you paying him that for and, and stuff? And I'm like, well, it's 20 quid a week or whatever it is but this kid's on 30 quid a week or whatever it was at the time he's, he's getting 50 quid a week he's happy as Larry mm. um, just to do you know just to do my boots and things and, and I think that was the biggest biggest thing the, the other big thing really was in, in lower leagues at that time you never really got as much time on the ball as you thought you well you did in the Premier League um, it was a lot more frantic uh, to say the least um, and I would say definitely a lot less professional. Um, you know, certainly at Carlisle in my time, I was there with Michael Knight. And so, uh, you know, I, I've got some stories I could say about him, but um, I might get sued. Um, in <laughs> and we'll say that for but, another time. <laughs> uh, well, absolutely. Um, you know, but he, uh, you know, he was he was a, a, my nemesis, I suppose, at, at Carlisle at the time. He was, you know, he didn't like me from day one, realistically. Uh, Mervyn Day was the manager. He... he Badgered him to bring me in, and I, you know, I, I played. Um, you know, I obviously started under under Mervin, but then Merv got the sack after six games, and just things didn't work out. You know, I'd signed a two three year contract with them, and you know, I expected Merv to be there. We had some good players up there, and which was the reason I left. You know, you know, I, well, the reason I went there was, um, you know, they had Matt Janssen, Roy Delap, mm. they had a you know guy called Paul Boating who who went off to, on to play in the Premier League as well, and. You know, these lads were, you know, we had Owen Archdeacon there come down from Scotland. We had a guy come from Marseille, Stefan, and, and we had a good team. And unfortunately, the chairman just had an ego and he wanted to uh, he wanted to prove that ego, really. And, and Mervyn, I think, you know, fought his corner and he just got to an end of his tether with, with Merv and, and sacked him. And that was the worst thing which ever happened to Carlisle, really, you know, in my eyes, certainly at that time. Um, but, you know, professionalism was the biggest thing, I think, and, you know, the biggest biggest thing and when I walked in it was it was very much uh, there's your kit you sort yourself out kind of thing and you know the, the lack of professionalism was was definitely a, a you know you could see when you when you've definitely come from like a club where you've got a kit man and you know everything's done for you pretty much um you know and the, and the, the boot boys are your boot boys are the apprentices and, and so on it was we were just starting to get into that era of where boot boys weren't really doing their jobs and they weren't really interested in doing the jobs and things um, you know they thought it was below them as such and uh, and now I think if you go to any any Premier League football club in the in the land not one apprentice will do any boots or anything else like that they, you know they're, they're, they're very much looking at computers or they're very much looking at the you know, analytic side of mm. the football nowadays instead of it being you know on a, on a whiteboard in front of you or some piece of paper in front of you and going 
boys, this is where he's going to run, this is what he's going to do. You know, and you had your meeting before the game, really, to, to kind of discuss the opposition. Um, and you were just left to go and play. Uh, now you've got stats and there's so much more. You know, you go to Car- I went to Carlisle not too long back for for a benefit game with, for, for a lad who I used to play with, Tony Hopper, who uh, unfortunately has got uh, motor neurons disease. And, you know, you kind of go to Carlisle now. It, it looks exactly the same as it was when I was there. Um but the, the players have, have got the computers, they've got the optus stats, they've got every stat they, they ever need. And it's it's just the, the footballing world's just changed so much from the 90s to what it is now. You know, you, the kits in particular, you know, we used to have baggy kits and yeah. one size fits all and things, you know. And, and when I was at Leeds, it was, you know, you had literally, if you swapped your shirt with somebody, you had to go to the club shop and buy another one, mm. um, basically. And, and that was out of your own money. Now, you know, you've got players who are, they were doing, you know, swapping five, six, seven shirts a game, and it's yeah, it's fine. Don't worry, we'll sort it, kind of thing. So the game's changed a hell of a lot since then. And and my time at Carlisle was was, you know, it was it was all right. It was decent. Um, I was glad I got out when I did. Um, I wish I'd have got out a little bit earlier, but that was part of it. Um, Blackpool, same thing. You know, we 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 got well, we literally got changed in a in a green hut. Um, in port cabins, really, and I believe then port cabins are pretty much still there um, as well. So you know, Blackpool was very similar, but we did have a boot boy and we did have somebody who, who looked after your kit. So it different was times, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, definitely. definitely. You know, well, uh, it was, it was definitely a different time. Thank you very much for, for speaking to us today, Andy. Great, great, insightful memories from the nineties. Not a problem. Thank Brilliant. you very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot, pal. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Andy Cousins there, really interesting, I thought that, you know, talked about 90s football, how we all feel about it, just a bit of a shame it never quite worked out for him in his further career, but good stuff, thank you for talking to us, Andy. Uh, let's get back to this tournament team then, I'm going to find some cool sort of name to call these rather than what I'm trying to say at the moment. Um, we've done our defence, um, we'll now go on to midfield, now you've got a 4-4-2, I've got 4-3-3, so I mean, we'll start with our first midfielder each, um, this one... I don't know why I'm reluctant to say his name because he's an obvious pick. And I just think that's the problem. He was just so obvious. These are my, this is my <laughs> first. Suspect, of, I suspect we've gone for the same gentleman. Here. Yeah, because I think when you're talking about this is my first Italian ninety pick, one of two to come actually. Um, and when you talk about that tournament and the, the team that won it, West Germany at the time, the guy in the centre, it, the linchpin of that team. So, Lofa Mateus. I mean, yeah. this guy. He is the archetypal just. I want to say steady box Eddie, but to box, box, to box, box to box midfielder, but then ended up playing sweeper. Could do everything. Um, he would do the dirty stuff that you would notice. Then all of a sudden, he'd pick up the ball <laughs> on the halfway line, drive through defence like he did in that tournament against Yugoslavia, score a goal yeah. or set up a goal out of nothing. He could do it all. That's the thing. He could play anywhere on the pitch. And I think he's someone people don't... I don't, know that, I don't say he's underrated, but I think he's so just... Oh, it's Lothar Mateus. He's so just a given that he was a fantastic it's, it's, footballer. It's just an, an, an assumption, rather, that he yeah. will be there without any thought given to it. But if you sort of go and look at him and look at his stats, I mean, you mentioned there the, the, that mad driving goal against Yugoslavia. He scored a cracking long-range effort against the United Arab Emirates. And he also got the winner against uh, the Czechs, which put them through in the semi against England. So just... Uh, I've got some stats. Do you want some stats? Yeah, I love some stats. Go on. Okay. Five World Cups, mate. 1982. That's, that's ridiculous. 86, 90, 94, 98. So he played in 98, which you kind of think, what the bloody hell's going on? Yeah, there, what was going on? That's how good he was. Germany still wanted mm. to take him in 98. Um, he's won the most games in the World Cup as a single player. He's won 25 different games in the World Cup finals, which is just more than most countries, I think. Yeah, it's more than Wales uh, the have most, played. Yeah, the most capped Sorry, German player. 
And Maradona said that Lothar Matthias was his greatest rival on the pitch. So if you want to, I mean, wow. I don't, I don't know what when essentially the best player of the '80s says that that about a player. I think you've, you know, what can you say if that was his, that was the opponent he he didn't want to play against the most. Maradona calling him his greatest rival. Yeah. I'd argue just, that Maradona's greatest rival came in a, a little paper bag, but that's allegedly. I'm not, <laughs> not, I'm not accusing him, but yeah, I mean that says it all. I mean, someone like Maradona saying it, and he's probably played against everybody there is to play yeah. against. Well, he's not saying it. He's not saying that Peter Reid was his greatest opponent. <laughs> oh, Pete! It's his birthday today. I think. I think I saw that on Twitter earlier. Happy birthday, Peter Reid! Hmm. Um, but yeah, no, he's an easy pick. I think that's the thing that was with Mateus. He was such a. I, I looked at the the midfield that I had, and there were a few that I went straight in. And Mateus wasn't one of them. In the end, I just. I'm not relenting. I just went. He has to go in. He has to go in. World yeah. Cup winning captain, as you said. You rolled out all the stats there. I think he's just. We've got France and Germany's most capped players in there, so this team is yes, is, yeah. is building very nicely for each. Of Lots us. of experience there. Yes, absolutely. Tons of experience. Lots of experience. Um, my next one. Um, I don't know if you're going to like this one. You're not going to, Joe, because I remember. Well, I know that his time at Middlesbrough is not for you. I'm going to surprise you. Oh, okay, okay. We'll, we'll go with that. But this is somebody... I mean, when I talk about the 1990s... Well, it is who I think it is. Yeah, it's it? completely who it is. Okay. It's, it's Paul Gascoigne. I mean, yeah. when when you talk about the 90s, and I think I've said this before on this show, that he, for me, whatever happened in the 90s, from bell to bell, from 90 to 99, Gazza was somebody somewhere, somewhere involved. So I've picked him for ninety. I mean, you could have picked him for ninety six as well, of course. Which I did. I there did, you go. Did so, he was the first. He was the first person I wrote down. Actually. Oh, I love you, Joel. That's that's what I want to hear. But there you go. Just uh, the first person I wrote down. Nineteen ninety is so iconic for me because, as I said, it's the first tournament I remember. Ben, he was such a massive part of that story. I mean, the Cruyff turn in the in the game against Holland, um, the, the tears obviously that we all felt when, on that tackle. And, you, and that's the thing because he felt like somebody you knew just happened to get into an England team become a superstar footballer you felt for him even when I was that age I could tell how much playing in a World Cup final and you'd be like don't book him don't book him obviously it didn't mm. matter in the end and I, and I just remember after that tournament my mum and or my mum and dad bought me the VHS which was Gascoigne's Glory I think it was called um, <laughs> which you know you buy his album oh, buy well, his album I bought the singles I bought you know was it Geordie Boys and Fog on the Time? Geordie Boys was the second one. Fog on the Time was first, yeah. Yeah, Fog on the Time, legend general. Sitting in a, what is it? Sitting in a sickly snack bar, sucking sickly <laughs> sausage rolls or something like that. <laughs> Oh god, was it Linda's Linda's farm? Is Linda's farm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, shell suit down the, the down the time. Um, but yeah, that VHS. I mean, I think I wore it out because I used to watch it over and over again because it was his story. <laughs> it showed those yeah. bits behind the scenes, like him getting cake in his face and Gaza like, loves chocolate. Gaza loves chocolate. I think by Chris Waddle and somebody else and throwing mm. people in the pool. It showed that playful side of Gaza and it mm. and it you know it bred the celebration at the airport, the video, like the Gaza soccer skills, the shell suits, the songs, everything. It's just Paul Gascoigne was that tournament. It's such a shame how it ended for him. And then you go on six years, and it's a different, even more madcap Gaza. Yeah, in, I mean, in this is why. This is why I put him in. I think it was kind. It was the last great hurrah. Looking, yeah. lo- looking back at it, obviously, Glenn Hoddle sort of hung him out to dry in a way that was completely unnecessary before. France '98, uh, when he played well for England, you know he'd done. I think the game against did he score two against Moldova in? I think he did. Yeah, the, yeah, the one yeah. just after Prince because Princess Diana had died like a week and a half before, and then it was kind of there was these few cathartic moments, and that was one of them. That England game, but I, I, I've got him down for Euro '96 because he was again he was pilloried in the papers. It was all the usual stuff. They'd gone to Hong Kong to play some wacky warm up <laughs> games and gone out and got drunk one night and done the old dentist chair bit, and everybody, you know, Shearer wasn't firing 
Gascoigne was, you know, question marks over Pierce at the time, you know, which people sort of now just looks insane. But yeah. at the time, that like they were genuine things, and they came back and the and the draw with Switzerland, and then and then after that they just kicked on. Obviously, the game against Scotland where he just absolutely tormented. I mean, Gazza had been hammered for ages by the lads at um, Rangers, just saying, "I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to do it." Like not England and not also not we. I. I'm going to do it. And like he was playing with Gorham at the time. Mm. <laughs> and he's going to Gorham. I'm going to score past you in that game. And he's like, no, you're not. He's like, I am going to score past you in that game. And obviously flicks it over Colin Hendry's head and, and wallops it in and, and straight away runs off and does the dentist chair. That's why that one, uh, for me, uh, year 96, more because it was a bit more redemption and there he was. And I mean, that I think possibly my favourite England goal, just for the audaciousness of it and just... I mean, I, we talk so much about Euro '96 as well. It's such yeah, a special. Yeah, but it come from the penalty, hadn't it? It come yeah. from the because they'd saved it, and then um, Gary McAllister, wasn't it? Who, who all moved slightly. <laughs> Yuri Geller, yeah, hit it, bang, and then straight up the other end. And there's Gascoigne, like flick over with with one and finishes it with the other. It was a wonderful goal. Yeah, and I have to say, we spoke to Colin Hendry last year on our Euro '96 shows, and he, he openly talks about that goal because he must have to talk about it every day to England <laughs> fans. You know, Mister Scotland, Mister Braveheart. Mm. Again, a Rangers teammate of, of Gazza's as well. But just in both those tournaments, like anything else in the 90s, it just completely summed up Gascoigne. And I don't know, possibly at the peak of his powers at 96 as well, though. I know Yeah, Ran- I think so. I mean, I think Rangers is, Scotland. And- yeah, it's yeah. a bit of an asterisk. But that was a, you know, a great Rangers team at the time. And the Scottish League was a bit better than... Well, I think Loudrop and, uh, and Ali McCoy. Ali McCoy, yeah. Lot, lot, what was that? Oh, the, the German guy there. I can't remember his name at the moment, but... Uh, they had a great team at the time. It's not like the Steamrolls League you see Selwick playing in now. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I think he's the... He was... I, I had two first-choice picks, and Gascoigne was one of them. I, I haven't mentioned my mm. other one yet, but for me, yeah, Paul Gascoigne, easy yeah. pick. Um, you're, so you've had... That's two midfielders. Yeah, three I've mid- got two more midfielders. Well, I've just mentioned him. Uh, sort of shoehorned in, really, because I needed somebody from oh, Euro okay, 92, cool. and I needed yeah. a good... I needed a midfielder, really, and I've gone for Brian Loudrup. Well, he's still a mid- He's not quite shoehorned. He's still a midfielder, isn't he? Oh, well, he won it. He did. Win he won it. the Euros Come in '82. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. He didn't score in the tournament, but I think he was the one for Denmark in that tournament that was given a bit of freedom and was allowed to be a bit creative. They'd gone in with a very sort of stifling plan, I think Denmark, because essentially they'd come running from on the beach, as we've just said. Um, you know, the rest of the team were the workers and the grafters, and he was the one who the shackles were off a bit. He could go and have a bit of. A, I mean, he didn't score, but. I think I'd said to you before we came on, you know, I said, who would you see to be? Brian Loudrop or John Jensen? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I didn't pick John Jensen on the basis, I'd have to say, and I'm going to say it now anyway, that I'd have to mention the Arsenal QPR game where he scored his only blanning goal. No, know, this again. Even this though again. we won 3-1. Um, but yeah, I think he didn't He didn't shine as much as Peter Schmeichel and John Jensen did, but at the end of the mm. day, he's still Brian Loudrop. And yeah. as we mentioned him at Rangers, he didn't quite make do it at Chelsea, didn't he? But he was such a phenomenal talent throughout that decade. Mm. Um, that I think is is a good. Pick. I think ninety two is so hard to pick. Um, we'll go through a couple of other names. So I I toyed with after we've done the whole elevens, but because there's such a little space of people to choose from, I think you did yeah. well there with with Loudra. Schmeichel and Schmeichel, of course. Um, so your so who make who completes your midfield four then? Yeah, um, a, a young lad. You might have heard of him <laughs> um, from World Cup ninety eight. I've picked a gentleman called Zinedine Zidane. Ah, Zizou. Zizou, yeah. Uh, three-time player of the year, of course. He's the most popular French player of all time. He was voted recently. Um, if, you know, he got sent off twice in that World Cup. 
which I completely forgot. Obviously, I remembered the one with Marco Materazzi when he headbutted him right at the end. That's not that's, uh, two, that's 2006. Is that so? Sorry, yeah, yeah you get well, confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Sorry, utterly confused. Um, but he got yeah, sent off in two World Cups, which is still quite he got sent off in two World Cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah sent off. Um, but scored the two goals in the final as well, of course. Um, bullet headers. Mm. You know, both the exact same goal. I think Roberto Carlos gave away the pe- the corner for the first one, and then he just uh, very quickly after that, it's anything with that. But just the one that stands out for me in that tournament is him against Saudi Arabia, which you can say, yeah, you know, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. But somebody, um, somebody comes clattering in. One of the Saudi players comes clattering into him, and he just manages to spin out of it. Yes. I, I, I still don't know watching it, and watching it, and watching it now, and I still don't know how he does it. But he spins out of it, and spins out of this tackle, then just notices Lazarazu again, there he is, any excuse to say his name, um, flicks the ball out to him and he zips it across the ball, uh, the goal for Henri to score. And it's just like, I think that more than anything else, more than the goals, the sending offs, anything else kind of sums up for me, just able to get out of such an ugly, crunching yeah. tackle and do it so beautifully and then turn it into the ultimate sort of revenge is, is I think, is sums up Zidane, I think. Yeah, I always think of him as somebody who just played the game at his own pace. I mean, there's that beautiful documentary that they did, I don't know, maybe probably like ten, five, ten years ago now that just focuses on him and the way he plays. And it's just, he seems to always have time on the ball. He's very, I think, like loose, I suppose, is the term that he uses. Yeah. Not disinterested because he's a man with a football brain, probably like no other. I did have him in my team. And when I tell you who's my final midfielder, everyone who's listening is going to think it's a ridiculous swap, but I'll explain <laughs> why. Um, but also, before I explain, I think I didn't appreciate Zidane until... A bit later, so when he went to Real Madrid and that fantastic goal he scored in mm. the Champions League final, and there was a game. It may have been in that run. I can't quite remember the uh, the timeline, but against Man United, Old Trafford, where I I just was astonished how he ran the game. It was just absolutely. It was like he was the only player on the pitch. I think just was, just very graceful, yeah. about four steps ahead of everybody else, and ability to read and spray passes about, and and sort of not. You know, quite happy to have a bit of a rumble now and again. Yeah, and without breaking a sweat as well. And yeah. I, and I know we're we're talking like nobody's ever heard of him, and but it's it's just it's astonishing if you go back and watch him as well. I think again, I don't think he, he gets enough credit uh, for what the player that he was. The same way we were talking mm. about Latham Mateus, because I think in games sometimes it seems like he he doesn't he's not going at the same pace as everyone else. But look at him as a manager. I mean, that football brain is obviously in there because yeah. he's come in there very little experience and won pretty much everything. In two seasons, he only did he to... win? Did he win World Player of the Year like three times or something yeah. incredible like which that? Is, something I mean, nuts. Yeah, which now seems old hat seems Ronaldo Messi win this record that blah blah blah. But yeah, that, back in the nineties it was some feat. So yeah, now I'm going to tell you who I've picked, and I even feel stupid saying it. But there is <laughs> there is a reason. So I had a three. So I've got Matthias Gascoigne and my last pick. Um, I mean, this is a guy. We're talking back now, mid nineties. At least, at least, hold on, hold on. At least I know it's not Andy Sinton. It's definitely not Andy Sinton. Although maybe, some people might think oh, I should have put Sinton in the stead, but no, I'm going for <laughs> it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick him. I literally super subbed him in just before we started recording as well because I was like, no, I'm gonna okay. do it. Um, and because nineties, it, it was before. Like, if you we watch a tournament now, it's very, very, very rare that you'll see a player or even a collection of player, a team that you don't know something about, just because of so much football is consumed on. In, on the internet, on social media, across TV, there's just so much of it now that there's very little players you go, you go, oh, I've never heard of him. But mm. in 1994, this is African team again. African teams are very rare at that point. I know Cameroon in 1990 they reached the quarterfinals. Roger Miller is someone I toyed with at, at some point in this eleven <laughs> as well. It, I yeah. looked at Roger Miller. Yeah, 
But Nigeria is a team that qualified in 1994, oh, okay. and at the, in the middle of the park, they had this guy. Another, he had red hair. He's not a natural ginger, but again, I've got that's my third kind of ginger in the team. I wasn't. Yeah, trying no, it's that. all right, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for this. Yeah, I know you're all for that. Um, he had dyed ginger hair and skills that could kill and pay the bills, as the kids say. JJ Okocha, <laughs> so good. We oh, named him twice. JJ Okocha. Bolt Mondras of, of Bolt Mondras of, fame. Yeah, of yeah, like later in the in the you know, his career, he played for Bolt. And at the time, he was uh, I tracked Frankfurt, I believe. Um, yes. And he was a complete unknown. I mean, Nigeria were a pretty unknown quantity as well. They had like Daniel Amakachi up front, who was at Everton, who's the on, Everton man. Yeah, yeah, he's on the podcast that we did for USA 94 go back into your archive and listen to that but I remember being in the playground and we used to play football at lunch so whatever the period was before lunchtime it was counting down the minutes get your trainers on get down the field and play football and for that period I was always JJ Kocha and I I have no (laughs) nothing completely in common with JJ Kocha in in both in look and ability there's a reason I'm in the media and not playing football because I'm a terrible (laughs) terrible terrible footballer and also I used to like playing up front when JJ Kocha is more of a midfielder but yeah I used to try and be I wanted an Okocha shirt that Nigeria shirt is beautiful by the way um, from 1994 and he was just somebody (laughs) like like I said at the top of the show I enjoyed watching and this is what we're trying to put this team together not necessarily saying this is the best 11 that we could come up with especially the rules but JJ Okocha for me I just loved this different player I'd never heard of, different team, the skills. I mean, he had vision. I know that he wasn't in a team that was surrounded by superstars, but he just surpassed everybody in that team. I just absolutely yeah. loved watching. I mean, he played with a smile on his face. You know, Bowen fans will contest with that later in, in, the, in the next decade as well. And he was probably not as good as he was then. He was a young, brash sort of midfielder in, in 1994. He was a bit matured by the time he went to Bowen and he sort of honed in the skills. But you saw flashes of it. But for me, yeah. So I picked JJ Okocha above Zinedine Zidane. I'm sorry, everybody. But Fair enough, mate. You've already that... put uh, Alexi Lalas in. You know? Yeah, exactly. But the, you know what? That's 94 for me. It completely sums up that World Cup. Like we, The third player that we're allowed to pick is from 94 for me. And he's a bit more serious in terms of ability. But 94 was colourful. Mm. It was different. It was like a World Cup like I'd never really imagined or seen since. And I think those two, like Lexi Lalas and JJ Koch, kind of sum the fun element, not just that World Cup, but I suppose the 90s as well. God, I'm getting a bit deeper yeah. this now. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> for me, that was that's me, JJ Koch. So let's do our, our front line. So you've got two and I've got, I've got three. Two. Um, so that's you go, go first then if you've got yeah well, let's go with my first one I've this is my well I say shoehorned one from 92 he, he is and he isn't because he's Dennis Burkamp so he, he should never yeah. need to be shoehorned into any 11 because um, for me as I've said many I times I don't want to I don't want to date the podcast, but it's 22 years ago today yes, that he signed for Arsenal. I know. I tweeted that out earlier. What a day it was. And then I got in some conversation with some people about who's the top four players in Premier League history, which is always fun because I don't think there's an answer. I think it's purely opinion-based anyway. Yes, but Burkham would definitely be in that conversation. And I think 98 is his World Cup. I think that's the, the, his tournament time. I think that's what people yes. remember him for. Of course, that goal at, um, in the quarterfinal against Argentina, which probably the goal of the decade. As much as I love Trevor Sinclair, I, I tell think... you what I love. I tell you what I love about that goal. I love his face as he wheels away. Doesn't he? He's like it's almost like he's amazed that he scored it. <laughs> but he shouldn't be because he did it all the like goals like that were old hat to him. You know, I know it's in the next decade, but that Newcastle goal is the most monster, kind of, most ridiculous goal. Mouth. He's got his mouth hanging open, yeah. and doesn't he like put his head in his hands as he runs yeah, off? Yeah, he does. Yeah, 
And so it's a, almost like, oh, what have I done? What have yeah, I done here? He did How a similar celebration for Arsenal. He scored a curler against Sunderland once. I think it was more mm. sarcastic where he put his hand over his mouth. But yeah. that's what Burkham did. And for me, that's why I loved watching him. Because he scored goals like I hadn't really seen players score before. But Euro 92, mm. he, he didn't have a bad show. And he scored three goals. He was among the top scorers. I think Netherlands and Germany were so heavily fancied in that tournament. Yeah. And obviously Denmark, as we've said, shocked the world. He played up front with Van Basten, which when you think about it, is absolutely ridiculous and then they had Rude Hullet Rude Hullet and I think Rijkaard so was still Burs, the playing there the De Burs, or Danny Blind and... Danny Blind was there I think Rijkaard was still knocking around as well so you think that team I mean, Van der Sar maybe yeah it was, it was very much why, reasons why it should have been and he he had a decent tournament and he was, I don't think he was quite reached the prowess of his powers because um, as we mentioned already that was at Arsenal and then in 1998 yeah. but I think he's still worthy enough to go in my team for, for Euro 92 so I've chosen Dennis Burkamp so your front give us your first one or do you want to give us what is your front two well I've got two both from USA 94 Yay! mate. and there was a lot sort of examining this there was a lot of um, there was a lot of a lot of good strikers going on yeah. so I've picked two two of the best ones I, I looked at Klinsman mm-hmm. he scored five goals in the tournament and um, you know I just I, I didn't pick him because I didn't think even though he was probably the best striker in the world at that point I didn't pick him because I didn't I don't think Germany had that good a tournament really obviously Salenko got six but uh, didn't he score like four in a game or yeah, five, five in a game, game yeah cheating yeah, so, you know, I don't know whether we can allow that. He's, like, he thinks he's juiced Fontaine or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, it doesn't count, mate. Yeah. So, I chose the uh, the other joint winner of the Golden Boot at USA 94, the bad-tempered, <laughs> arrogant, you know, uh, almost like in a left-winger, inside left-forward, really. But uh, Christos Stoichkov. Stoichkov. He was a mean Imagine. little man, but what a player. Oh, yeah, just and that burst of pace that he had and the crazy shot and everything and... Uh, I just and, and the fact that he's got six, I think, and just broody and moody. But the thing that I remember most about that is um, he scored a um, he had a free kick against Nigeria and they ended up getting beat three nil by Nigeria. We battered this free kick in, and this is when it was at nil nil, and they scored, and it, and it, it was disallowed. Oh yeah, and I remember. Yeah. Even even to this day, I'm not entirely sure why that was disallowed. Whether it was indirect and he took it directly or or what actually the situation was. And I don't think it's ever been properly answered. If anybody out there on Twitter yeah. just wants to tell me, because I'm... Something, is it, is it you know, indirect or something? Like, I, I don't know. I can't I remember. Think, I think so, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, they beat, you know, they beat Germany in the quarters to get to the semi-finals, and that's Bulgaria. And yeah. that's, that was, that's um, not one that gets Jordan really... Lenchkoff, wasn't it? He's hit the baldy guy, yeah. Yeah, and it's one that I've never... It's one that's never thought of. You know, we talk mm. about England getting the semis quite a lot, and we talk we talk about Wales getting to the Euro semis and things like that. But that's not really remembered, and that's a massive achievement for for a country of that size. And you can put it mostly down to Stoichkov, I think. Obviously, you know, doing very well at Barcelona at the time as well. Um, yeah, just the incredible player, and one of the ones, obviously, the Golden Boot winner. And we were spoiled in USA '94, I think, for strikers. Yeah, he, I always remember that they were commentated on a match with Bulgaria. I think Kevin Keegan was the co-commentator, and mm, he was. I wax- bet he loved that. Yeah, he was waxing lyrical. <laughs> well done. He was waxing lyrical <laughs> about Stoichkov, and then after that, I don't know if it was just papers using that as a as a story, but there, he was so he was really linked with Newcastle. And imagine <laughs> that '95 '96 team, which we'll talk about in the, in the next episode. But imagine that team added Risco Stoichkov. Absolutely ridiculous amount. I mean, the court about entertainers, but. He had that. Do you know what Stoichkov? Well, I've looked at him. He looks about the player. If you didn't know, if you were ever to kick about with your mates, and he turned up, you'd look at him and go, "Yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, you can go on the other side." He didn't look like a footballer. Yeah. He just looked no. like some, you know, that bloke down the pub. But then he put a boy's feet, and he was just majestic. He really, really was. 
Bulgaria's best ever, I, I would say. Oh, well, I don't know who else you would say. Yeah, Berbatov. Um, no, nah. Just, 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 uh, just really perfect stuff, and just shone in that thing, and and you pretty much single-handedly dragged his country's team to the semi-finals of the World Cup. Yeah, good you choice. Know, wonderful, wonderful. And, and who completes your? Who's your? I think your other forward may match mine. So who is your? Who's completing your team from USA ninety four? My other, yeah, my other forward is Mr. Stoichkov's partner at Barcelona Aha. at the time, and that would be uh, Romario. Well, he's he's my uh, second striker as well. So that's revel in all things Romario, the man who self-proclaimed scored over a thousand goals. In yeah, his career, he's including yeah, but he's including things like playing like jumpers for goalposts <laughs> in the park. You know what I mean? He's including things in like the garden that. with his nan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you, you're going gold, two year old child. Yeah, he's he's including those sort of things. I mean, the funny thing about USA '94 and Romario is that he almost nearly didn't go. Uh, yeah, of course, that's, just... yeah, there was a big uproar, wasn't there? <laughs> well, he wasn't. He hadn't played in I think about ten of the qualifiers. And uh, the manager at the time was under enormous pressure to pick him, you know, from the press, from the fans, from television, etc., etc. So probably inside the Brazilian uh, Football Association, to be honest. And he wouldn't pick him. And, and I think there was a game against Uruguay and Brazil was second in the group and Uruguay were top. And they finally relented and said, picked him for the squad. And he said, I won't play unless you give me shirt number 11, because obviously he only wanted to wear the 11 shirt. And he went around saying stupid things like, I will finish Uruguay. I will do this to Uruguay. And you know when somebody says that, that's just asking for trouble. And of course, he didn't. And he scored twice and they, and they finished top of the group. And there you go. And then from then, he really kicked on. I think it was him and Bebeto were yeah. there, two up front. And I, I think he'd struggle for a, for a better pair than those two, really. Um, but uh, absolutely remarkable. I mean, he scored, he scored against Russia, against Cameroon, his Topol against Sweden, the one against Holland, and the semi-final winner against yeah, Sweden. Yeah, that took him that the one, final. Yeah. And that game against Holland because that was not only the the beautiful, beautiful blue kit that um, Holland wore. Uh, sorry, Brazil wore in that game. Mm. But that's the baby rocking, isn't it? Of course, which he can't yes. mention the row row attack, Bebeto uh, oh, and uh, Romario attack without him and. Uh, Yes, his son's now playing for Sporting Lisbon. We're old. Get over it. We know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't say enough. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying, Joe. Because I think Romario is... Because England weren't in that World Cup, I took to Brazil. And I had a Brazil shirt. I wish I still had that. I wouldn't fit, but I wish I still had it because it's an amazing <laughs> shirt. Um, and I just loved him. He was probably... He's, he, I would say probably he was easily the best striker in the world at that point. And again, well, a bit like Stoichkov because he was small in stature. And he, he had that burst of pace, but again, he didn't look like the archetypal centre-forward that you'd expect mm. to be the best striker in the world. He didn't look like a Jurgen Klinsmann, for no. example. But I just think if you go back into club football at that time, it might have been the year after 95. Uh, but I remember uh, Man United playing Barcelona and Romario just absolutely yeah. tormenting yeah. Gary Pallister. I think it was where the one 4-0 at... Yeah, uh, there was a moment we all realised that Man yeah. United weren't quite ready for Europe yet, yeah. And, there's, and he just danced past Pallister time and time and time again. And he sort of... And Pallister, you know, a wonderful defender, you know, England stalwart for many years. And he just showed him up for being totally ordinary. And, and, and I think that was the sort of player Romario was. You know, he had the capability on any given day to make anybody look ordinary. Yeah, And was. he scored. He got five goals. And they were important goals as well. You know, the one against Holland, the top against Sweden. Uh, sorry, yeah, the, the, the semi-winner against Sweden. So, yeah... Just um, I, I, 
when I needed somebody from 94, I sort of looked at some of the best players of the tournament and just... He was. Well, he was the player yeah, of the tournament. He really was. It's, I always think it's such a shame that final was so drab and so dull. Yeah. Well, that... you, get the, you get the impression that the organisers would have picked any yeah. other team than Italy. Because Mario didn't be get sniffed, did he? And, or did no. Bibetto and, and, and Italy, Barbaggio really didn't offer anything. I mean, we all know what happened to Baggio in the penalty shootout. But it's a, it's, mm. hard, it's a sad thing because you mentioned the strikers and the attacking talent at what, USA 94, that the, it's remembered for that drab final. All right, it was dramatic in the penalty shootout, but it'd be much better if it, the final had matched what had mm. like, sort of been before it in, in that it's just, tournament. It's just, it's just remembered for two missed penalties, yeah. you know, one, one by <laughs> Baggio and one by one of the Supremes. So, yeah. yeah. Who, I have to say this, Whoever put it on Twitter, and I'm not going to get all political on you, but whoever some, who likened that to uh, Theresa May calling an election, perfect. That is the perfect <laughs> analogy of Diana Ross's penalty. Uh, there's a quote here I've got from uh, the Brazil coach, which is Carlos Alberto Pereira at the time, all right, about yeah. Bibeto and, Rom- and Romario, and it said they are matadors, killers inside the penalty area, which I thought was pretty much sums them up. Yeah, just wonderful pairing, just and just uh, everything. You know, we uh, the English league at that time hadn't become no. what it what it became. So it was all still, you know, we still loved it and everything. But it was a lot of clodhoppers, and these guys were like sort of magicians from another land, really. They were, they were. So that's your eleven. I've got a final pick, and it's quite nice. We're ending on this guy, and again, this people might slightly think I could have picked Ronaldo here, which I could have. Um, I've gone for the same tournament in 1998, and he's a player a little bit like JJ Cotter when he came to fruition in '96. I didn't really know anything about him, and but for some reason I took to him so instantly, and then kind of became one of my favourite players of the decade. I must have mentioned him at some point on this podcast before because he is in that sort of enchilada players. The Corinthian figures that sit next to me are usually the players that I love, and there is one here <laughs> of Davor Suka of of Corinthian, yeah, right, okay. who's who's my final pick. Obviously, starting you know, I've picked for '98, but. From 1996 was when he first came to to the attention of people. Croatia first came to the attention wearing that beautiful yeah. kit as well, which we always talk the about. Checkerboard, the red checkerboard, white checkerboard, which kit. is always must be hard to do something different with every time. But still, it's still a great kit. And he came into that tournament again. It doesn't again another player. He's, you know, he was quite. He would never have a bit of pace about him, but his touch, his finishing. You talk about the chip in that game. You know, they played Denmark. Peter Schmeichel at that point in 1996 was the best goalkeeper in the world by none. And he, he made him look very, very silly with, a, with an almost chip and then made him look completely stupid with a proper chip over him. That was his coming out yeah, for Dan yeah. He scored three goals in that tournament. And then in 1998, I mean, I could have picked him for either, but in 98, he won the Golden Boot, which is the same tournament as Ronaldo was in. Um, and you had you know, mm. other strikers there, you know, your Shearers, your Batistutas, who's somebody we haven't even mentioned. Um, yeah. and, and he is somebody, he, he came in there, Croatia reached the semi-finals, as we mentioned already. And he scored, you know, he scored the winning goals in the in the group games, the crucial one against Japan and Romania. And he's, he's a striker that I think people don't really think of now, because they always look back, especially in this country, they look back to the time at Arsenal, which didn't quite work out for him for whatever yeah. reason. Um, and then West Ham. Sorry, is... sorry, I'm just going to run you. I told you I was outside. I can hear the plane, it's yeah. A, it's a plane going over there. So is it, it Davor on his way to Croatia? Hello, Davor. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Please come yeah, with the podcast. It looked like it was going north, so he might be going to sign for Newcastle or Middlesbrough or something. <laughs> I'd still have him at QPR, please. Um, yeah. Where was I? Yeah, before that plane overtook us. Yeah, but no, well, about, when he, about when he came to this country. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it's looked upon a bit sad because I just did, like it just didn't work out for him. I, mean, I think he's got like eleven goals in sort of thirty nine, thirty yeah, thirty nine appearances. Because he went to West Ham, he went to Arsenal and then West yeah, Ham. Yeah, West Ham's not even worth talking about. But yeah, it, yeah, I remember when he signed for Arsenal. I was around my friend's house at the time. He wasn't really a big football fan. I think he was more of a fly by night. Um, he's mm. been like that all his life, actually. Whatever he's into. But I remember the press conference. <laughs> hey, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> oh, he'll know. He'll know what I mean. He won't listen to this because it's football based. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember being on Sky Sports News flicking over and seeing that Suka had signed and I was like, oh my God, I get to watch him every week now in the Premier League and it's just a shame. I think he had a couple of injuries. It just didn't quite work out for him but Real Madrid, I mean, his record at Real Madrid is pretty decent. I know it's not Ronaldo levels but 38 goals in 86 games. That's almost one in two. Decent one in one in two, yeah. Yeah, and he, he was a very... I mean, I've been looking for a Davos Suka number nine Croatia shirt on eBay for Yonk. So if anyone's got one okay. there who wants to clear out their, their cupboard and let me clutter my own office much to the life to dismay, <laughs> then I would love to see it. But yeah, I've picked Davos Suka uh, ahead of Ronaldo, but he is, for me, one of, one of my favourite players. Well, no, I think he's justified in terms of he won the Golden Boot yeah. and then he's done it. He's done it at two tournaments, and whereas Ronaldo, you know, for for better or for worse, is known for falling to bits in the final. Yeah, and ninety four really? was a kid, so I can't really pick him for ninety four either. So I didn't even, yeah, I where he, so... he got on the pitch. So I just read a great stat about Davosuka. He scored twelve go- goals in the qualifying campaign for Euro ninety six, which was a mm. record until two thousand and seven. Do you know who beat it? Go on. David Healy. <laughs> ah, would that be the qualifying campaign that uh, Northern Ireland beat England? In? It would, yeah, Euro 2008. So, yeah, well, there's, a, there's a stat David Healy can yeah. live off. I bet he's dying. I had, I had an ex girlfriend who, who's from Northern Ireland who used to just, whenever we were having a fight, she would just incur the name of David Healy just to upset me. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, there you go. Qualify, did they? So, yeah. <laughs> no, well. It's very fine. much, it's better now for Northern Ireland. Oh, so there we go. That's the so you've got So, you've got three from 96. I got three for no ninety four. I've got um, ninety four. Lalas, Okocha, and Romario, and you've got three. I've got from three from ninety eight. Yeah, so I, I had not three from ninety eight at the beginning, and I thought, I thought that's probably year ninety two. Them and that that for me, I, I like the other three tournaments more. But yeah, ninety four makes more sense to me. So just quickly going through my team was Schmeichel, Turam, Lalas, Sama, Pierce, Okocha, Gascoigne, Matthias, Suko, Romario, Burkham, and Joel. Your team was. I've got Schmeichel from ninety two, Carlos from ninety eight. Barese from 1990, Laurent Blanc 96, Turam 98, Lotte Mateus 99, Laudrup 92, Gaza from 96, Zidane from 98, Stoichkov and Romario both from USA 94. They're two bloody good teams, I tell you that. I mean, yeah, it's all right, if yeah. anyone on Twitter thinks they can beat that, you've got to play by the rules. Two players from each tournament and then one additional one. Please tweet us, uh, you know, write it out on notes or whatever and, and see what team you can come up with. Um, Joe, was there anyone, was there sort of, you know, near falls for you? Was there anyone who just missed out on your 11? I think we said sort of, uh, I looked at Klinsman. Yeah. Obviously, I looked at uh, Paolo Maldini at fullback. Um, and I thought, and, and Rude Hullet as well, but I'd probably say he was more sort of 88, 89. Yeah. And even Maldini, um, you could argue, was probably more going into the next decade. I, I remember him more for, maybe that's more club football, but yeah, I think you could get away with, I think Carlos is the right choice. Yeah, um, um, and they, they were the ones who really yeah. were skirting about. And obviously we just mentioned Roger Miller, which kind of, you know, him and him and Gaza were the two faces yeah. of that, that of the World Cup in 1990, really. Nobody else jumps out. Mm, uh, think, so yeah, they were the ones yeah. I sort of tinkered, tinkered with and thought about. But oh, I, um, I toyed with Georgie Hadji at one point because he was like you had your Stoichkov yes. and then you had your Hadji. Those two were kind of they somehow they go hand in hand, don't they? Because I think of the eras yeah. and the countries that they played for. Um, Thomas Brolin was somebody that Euro '92. You always think of when it's, it was hard to pick someone from that, and Brolin had such a good tournament. But I went for Burkham mm. in the end just for what he I did. I thought. I thought maybe. 
and it was Kanchelskis there then. Oh, the I, can't I can't remember. I don't yes, know if he would yeah, have been there. I can't yeah. remember. It makes sense that he would have been, but I, I can't say at the top of my head. The, the, no. the name that I literally had was one of my first ones, but in the end, I had to oust him in terms of a rejig. Was Michael Owen? Uh, oh, young Michael. Young Michael, because in 1998, I mean, I, I'd say I was a rubbish footballer, but the only thing I did have was pace. And and Mike mm. and I used to like, feel feel like if I was going to be a footballer or play football, somehow I would play like Michael Owen because his pace was so electric. And I mean that World Cup and that goal to do what he did. And I, I know we get a bit blasé about young players in England teams now. You look at like Marcus Rashford and Deli Alley, but back then it was kind of more unusual. And to do that, what he did against Argentina at such a young age, and the goal against Romania a few days before it, it's it was kind of astonishing. And then. I think his career gets tainted by what happened at the end. You know, people remember him as this broken down mess at, at Man United and then yeah. at Stoke. Stoke, yeah. yeah. But I remember that, was it the, I think it was literally was the game after, the, the first game of the season after that tournament, and so it would have been 98-99, and they played Newcastle and he scored a hat-trick and he was absolutely unplayable. And I was like, this, mm. this guy's got it. He's going to break the goal-scoring record. And it's such a shame that injury at Leeds happened because I don't think he was... He, he could have been even better. I mean, his career was pretty decent as it was. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just the fact that he'd started off with such a flourish. Yeah. I think if he'd started off all right and then had the flourish and then sort of tailed off, you'd have gone, yeah, he's had a decent career. But now you just think of him as being very boring on yeah. BT Sport. Oh, God, yeah, that's a pundit. I'd rather not even think about it. Um, so, yeah, that was a play shape. I'm sure there's players that we could have had. You know, Alan Shearer was obviously top scorer at the, at the Euro 96, you know, and then you talk about some of the defenders that we haven't mentioned. But, yeah, pick your own. You know, have a go at us who we've missed out, but they're our 11. So thank you very much for that, Joe. I mean, uh, I haven't asked you this and I wasn't going to put pressure on you, but have you got a, a player that time forgot that we can finish on? Oh, uh, yeah, Ooh. I did. I think I've thought about it, yeah. And See, you're good. This Brazilian. is why we have you on. This is why we have you yeah. on. The first Brazilian to play in the Premier League. Oh, it's not, oh, uh, it's not that guy. No, that was 80s at Newcastle guy. Um, uh, Mirandinha, are you yeah. thinking of? Oh, I can see the guy. He's got like a... Like a receding hairline and a beard. Coventry City. Play for Coventry City. Azias. Yes. Also, the first Brazilian to score at the Riverside Stadium. That's why I remember. Yes, that's why I remember. The first opposition player to score at the Riverside Stadium was Azias of Coventry City. Played 12 times, scored two goals, one of them, of course, it was against Middlesbrough. Wow. So there you go. I was there as well. I was there that day. We won four one in the end. Oh, the image you have in my head, bizarrely, is that, do you remember those pro match cards, which were like the illustrate? I'm sure we've talked about them on this pod before. Yes, yes, yes. We've it, talked about these. Yeah, that's what that's the image that first came to my head. I don't know why. Not him playing football, but him of that card. I think it was quite a good illustration of him. But <laughs> great, that's a good one. Yeah, that will that will confuse people on Twitter. That one, I'll put that one yep. up later, later this week. Well, thank you very much for that. As I said, get in touch if you want to put on your own 11s next time out we will be talking back to the countdown and we're doing 95 96 and then joel will join us the episode afterwards when we talk about mis- middle middle i can't even say it middle spreads um what i want to say controversial season it Roll, was controversial yeah. roller coaster it was, it was, of a season it was the it was the well you know it's a veritable roller coaster season. yeah i still think it's the best season we ever had um 96 97 um yeah but with there's plenty to talk about yeah. and i don't even even have to do any research no, or anything we'll, on that season because it's all in my head. I was at nearly every game. We'll, look uh, we'll yeah. definitely much look forward to that in a couple of episodes' time. Until then, if people want to talk to you about Middlesbrough, about George Michael, about Top of the Pops on a Friday night, where can they yeah. find you on wrestling? The, wrestling. Look at pictures of my look at pictures of my cat. Yeah, 
Um, it is um, at Twitter, uh, at Joel Baby Herc. That's J-O-E-L-B-A-B-Y-H-E-R-C. I can go off on one sometimes. I'm just warning you. <laughs> it's fun. I like it when Joel goes off on one. I'm just warning you. I can go off on one sometimes. But, you know, most of the time it's all right. It's quite a nice ride. Brilliant, so good stuff. And you can follow myself on Instagram and Twitter at UK. Yes, I'm gramming these days, not very well, but yeah, check it out if you're on. Yeah, there. I am as well, actually. I've had my, I've just started doing a few, and I'm yeah. at the same Joel Baby here. Yeah, I just, so, yeah, I don't know if I will stay there, but it's around if you want to follow me and follow the show, of course, at AK Nineties. We'll be back next time with Ninety Five, Ninety Six, Newcastle. I love it. The Entertainers, bit of Janina, of course, and loads, loads more with Matthew Christ and Dave Black. So join us for that. Until then, keep it Nineties. 